Rolling Dice and Taking Names is sponsored by The Broken Token, creator of high-quality gaming accessories and storage solutions. Visit them online at thebrokentoken.com. I have a question for you, Marty. Yeah. Where were you on the night of July 16th? Well, I was recording RDTN with Tony and special guest Chaz Marler. Where did all these dice come from? Well, that came from a game we talked about, Istanbul the Dice Game. And what about these cards? Well, that came from a couple other games, Carthago and Warhammer Age of Sigmar Champions. And I found this little tiny painted figure. Uh, yeah, uh, Travis and I talk about Warhammer 40k Kill Team. I don't believe you. I think you're guilty. I think you're taking our review of Detective just a little bit too far. Ignacy, get him out of my sight. Welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode number 149. Tell me why. I'm Tony. I'm Marty. And tell me why is a Beatles song, which must mean... Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's Chaz Marler from Pair of Dice Paradise. And... Uh, I found my way back to your studio just in time for this episode. I, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it, Chaz. You've been with him for a week. You should not want to be here. <laughs> You've, you had to deal with him it's down in Florida at Dice Tower Con where y'all sat. Every, you, okay. First off, here's my first thing with you two. Every time go. I tune. What? 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 No, go ahead. All right. Go ahead. I am. Every time I would try to tune in and watch the live streaming because I've got Chaz and I've got Marty Connelson. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry, Marty. So good. <laughs> what was that about? And then I'll get back to my story. Connelson? Connelson? I, I, okay, I, I don't know. First day of the stream, they throw it up there. And then like for the next three days, every day I tell them, that's not my name. All he had to do was go in there and edit it. That's it. Just edit it. And finally, at the last day, he fixed it. But what was weird is the lower third that they showed at the bottom of the screen was right, but the description on the YouTube video was wrong. I I, I don't know. But yes, I got called called Connelson a lot while I was there. Chaz, what, what, yes. what's going on? What, what's up with this? Weren't you in charge? Well, I, I actually encouraged it because it made me feel like our staff was 150% larger. You know, we could tweet that we had Connelson on the show and then we had <laughs> Marty there. So it was, you know, it was like we had a whole big group there. It was great. I mean, I'm looking at it from a rolling dice and taking name exposure level. And here we are at Marty Connelson. Well, what podcast is he on? Well, he's, I wonder if he's related to that Connell guy that's on Rolling Dice and Taking Names. I don't know, but Constance's there. They kind of look the same. Maybe he's got a twin. Anyway, back to my original story. Every time I tried to watch the streaming, I would come on and you two would always come back. We'll be coming back in an hour. I'm like, what the freak? Are you boy? <laughs> well, we told you when we were coming back, you should have watched the previous segment. That's when I could watch. I, I'm not going to go back. I want to watch you live. I want to aggravate you online. And that's my other beef with YouTube. Here I am typing in YouTube, trying to create issues, and you aren't even looking at YouTube. You are 100% right. We made that decision very early on to not be able to see the comments at all because they're distracting. Chad. Oh, yeah. And there's, there's nothing better. Uh, that you can do with your time, then watch a YouTube stream of someone going, um, hang on, scroll, scroll, scroll. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah, hey, Bob, good to see you. 
scroll, scroll, scroll. Uh, so we, we wanted to try and minimize that as, as much as possible. Did, did you want four days of that? No, I wanted, you had people there. I expected better. Well, here's the thing. This is why we had the hashtag DTCQA where people could submit their questions and then we answered them. So can you hashtag in YouTube? No, we said on Twitter. Do I go to Twitter? <laughs> yes. No. You responded today when somebody said you were grumpy in yesterday's game day that we had. Only because I was tagged. Other than that, I'm not in Twitter. You told me I have to do Instagram. You handle <sighs> Twitter. Can you hashtag an Instagram? Yes. Yeah. You can. Okay, we didn't check Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Oh my God. It was like, it was amateur four days. No, it was pretty much amateur four days for sure. And then then (laughs) I'm sitting there in the YouTube channel and y'all put Suzanne in her vest. Oh yeah. Okay. Do you know how many people go, what's with the vest? That joke is (laughs) dead, people. Here's the thing. The only thing that mattered was that me... Chaz and Suzanne knew what was up with the vest. At that point, that's all that mattered. No, and me and some other guy in the YouTube channel. Other than that, no one else knew. That was it. (laughs) Well, it just goes to prove my theory that there is no such thing as an inside joke that is too much of an inside joke. If just one person in the audience knows what you're talking about, it's smooth sailing as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah. All you need is one laugh. (laughs) Well, it's a good darn thing that my time that streaming watching right. <laughs> that's the one you saw. That one. That's the one you got to see. Okay. No, I planned, I planned accordingly. I saw you and Marty and Suzanne, you and Marty and Jamie, you and Marty and Ignacy. And it was always on the eating competition. <laughs> yeah. So let, let, let me highly recommend if you want to see somebody that really gets their feelings hurt, go watch the Eric Lang interview uh, where we have play a little game with him at the end where we talk about our favorite bands. I thought we, we agreed we were never going to discuss that segment. <laughs> See, I, didn't, I didn't know about this. What happened? Talk to me. What happened? What'd you do? Oh, well, Mr. Lang and Mr. Connelson there ganged up on me. That's, that's what happened during that segment. So we did it. We did a segment, which was uh, basically, so Eric Lang is a, is a music fan. He's a musician. So we always try to find something with the designers that they enjoy mm-hmm. talking about. His was music. So we came up with this thing where uh, Chaz and I would name a band and an album and see if Eric can name a song off of it. And we had, I don't know, how many was it? Five each, Chaz? Yes. So Eric, I, I kind of knew, was probably the same type of music lover as I was as, as far as bands. So uh, w- when I would ask a question, he would pretty much get it right off the bat. And, and then Chaz would ask a question, and it would be a totally different response. Okay, no, no, you, you, no, no, you're underselling it, okay? You, you, would ask, <laughs> uh, you would ask Eric if he could name a song off an album you picked. Not only could he name it, he could name every song on the album. Plus, he was able to name them in order as they appear <laughs> on the album. Meanwhile, meanwhile, I got told at the end by Eric that... I am a good human being, and he appreciates that my ability to exist on this planet. That, that's, the, that's the participation trophy that I got awarded from that whole thing. So he, could, he couldn't go, uh, Chaz, I can't name anything on Kids Bop number four. I'm sorry. <laughs> 
Oh, it, it was beyond that. I mean, I think I think Chaz, there was only one album where he even took a stab at, and that was Beastie Boys. And he just said, "I only know one of their songs. Is it Fight for Your Right to Party?" And he told me, he he told me like three different facts that he knew about them, and they were all about that same song. So his entire Beastie Boys knowledge was was restricted to just "Fight for Your Right to Party." And but I counted that as a win because I, I was at that point I was taking what I could get. You needed to. Oh. I'm like, I'm, I'm screaming at my monitor because we're playing wits and wagers. And first off, that was a bunch of unarmed people there, but that's okay <laughs> with Jamie. And how many weapons does the TSA confiscate? Connelson, you, oh, you, God, you embarrass me. Oh, I could not believe your answer. 300? 300? Yeah. I got it right. No. No, I said over, I said over 300. I got, the, I, I was the one closest. I said higher than anybody else did. It was in the millions. How do you justify that that's even close? How do you even justify this is in the solar system? I, I was the one that said 311. Um, because, <laughs> again, I, I was trying to work in another music reference because I was still hurt from, from how Eric. Which, which, which Eric didn't know that band. It was so funny. Chaz said, Here's here's my favorite band of all time. <laughs> Eric's like, I have no clue. Who, what is it? What's the band? I didn't watch this. What what was the band? Three Eleven. That which is because I had no clue about the number of weapons that TSA would find, which is why I went with 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 that number. Um, so <laughs> did I mentioned I didn't do very well in the Witch and Weegers game either. Yeah. Well, Jamie was the one that had all the packets. Who won that? I, I had to I had to go uh, we, make dinner. We were all losers in the game where we had to eat the hot sauce. Yeah, I still can't get the 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 picture of the chunks coming out of the packet. That was that was rough. I knew I know it's just tomatoes and onions, but still there was something about that. People are probably wondering what we're talking about. So uh, we we played a game of wits and wagers with with uh, Jamie, and if you lost, you had to drink a packet of Taco Bell sauce. We went from mild to hot to fire to Diablo, and the first one wasn't bad, but the next two had chunks in them. Picante sauce, you know, salsa has chunks, but when there's not the crunch of a taco or a, or a nacho, it, it's just it's just not as good. Oh, that's also an understatement there. Oh, my word. And, and I got, we had four. We had mild, medium, fire, and Diablo. And I got to say, the fire actually was the worst one out of the whole lot because the, while the Diablo just tasted like you know, feet, the the the, the fire <laughs> one tasted like feet, but had a, like a real ketchupy taste to it, and it just made my stomach turn. It was so gross. Oh, speaking of ketchup, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, ketchup. I mean, I'm going to do it with ketchup packs. Let's do it with ketchup packs, Chaz. What do you, what say? you say, Chaz? I think I'm starting to figure out why you guys invited me on this time. <laughs> so for those who didn't watch, let me catch people up. Oh, please. Chaz, no. ha- Chaz said, it's like, hey, it's online. We can point people to this. Yeah, thank, thank you f- to Jamie Keggy for pointing that out during his live Q&A at Dice Tower Con, by the way. But please, please, please continue. <laughs> so Chaz confesses that he has this thing with food where if somebody eats ketchup by itself, it makes him oh, uneasy, kind of kind of sick. And that's one of those things that you wouldn't think about a person. You wouldn't think ketchup would trigger somebody like that. But Chaz shared it with the world that that, it, that he does. And so I cannot wait till Gen Con when we go to Steak and Shake and we're all going to take a bottle of ketchup and just right down our throats. And, and Chaz is freaking out right now, actually, thinking oh. about this. 
I, you know, I think though, by the time uh, Gen Con rolls around, I, I think I actually will be acclimated to it and, and I'll be okay because ever since that word came out during Dice Tower Con, my Facebook and Twitter feeds have been flooded with animated GIFs of people eating ketchup straight out of the bottle. So <laughs> thanks guys for helping me work work through this. I, hey, it's a lot cheaper than going to a therapist. You're welcome. <laughs> hey, Marty, I think we should go with mayonnaise packets with him. Oh. <laughs> you can't even touch mayonnaise. I, oh, I, yeah, yeah. I was going to say a lot of people would have an aversion to drinking, uh, to eating mayonnaise straight. People do it all the time. They they lick the knife. Oh, I do. I love mayonnaise, but uh, eating it straight, a lot of people would go like, Ugh. so okay. So. Not not ketchup though. Ketchup is salty and tasty and tangy. So oh. so at the Rolling Dice and Taking Names meetup at Gen Con. I mean, so my when I called the spaghetti factory today and made sure that there would be ketchup bottles on every table. Nice. I don't need to do that because he's 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 over it. Well, we'll we'll find out if he's really over it. We'll test him. Oh, you good. Know. Oh, good. <laughs> well, no, well, no, that's do. what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to face your fears. You know, like when you when you go and like you have a fear of heights, you're eventually supposed to be able to face your fears. Chaz, we're helping you here. We at RDTN are here to help you overcome your fears and phobias. You're I, welcome. I'm not afraid of ketchup. It's just <laughs> eating it straight makes me sick. Admit it. You're a ketchup-phobe. I'm not ketchup. Oh, I will tell you, I've tell you one thing I am is I am seriously starting to feel a little green about the gills. So if you want to move on to the to next topic, I would be, I wouldn't mind. So, so one of the things I got back from this Dice Tower Con, Chaz, is that while he was, while Marty, he, Marty, was there. Oh, and this, another thing. I'm, I'm going to change. Right, here we straight. go. Here we go. So if you're eating hot sauce, you don't drink water. This hot sauce wasn't hot at all. No. So it, it was like so tame. I don't even know why you call it hot sauce. But anyway, continue. You're right. You're supposed to drink milk. You're supposed to drink milk. And before you did that, you had Ignacion and you had cookies and you had no way to clean his palate with milk. You, how can, oh my gosh. I'm like, I'm looking at him. I'm like, what are you guys doing? So Chaz, after four days of all that stuff and we got all these wonderful compliments of everything that we did, it takes this guy coming in and complaining because we didn't have milk to cleanse the palates of ourselves and Ignacy. I wouldn't have to do this if you were reading YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, Tony, I just do what I do. I blame Connelson. That guy, he did not have his act together. He was. He was. Marty he was and I useless. were okay, but that Connelson, he, he messed up everything. He didn't get the milk. Blame it. I really wish I could pick my own name on my badge at Gen Con because I would for sure change it to Connelson. <laughs> oh, maybe somebody will be creative and they'll he'll have RDTN, Tony and Connelson. I don't know. Yeah. But Chaz, what I was getting ready to say was Marty told me he really didn't get a chance to play a lot of games at Dice Tower Con. Now, I know y'all got to play Detective and we're going to be talking about that a little bit later in the show. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, what one game grabbed Chaz by the whiskers on his face. <laughs> um, I wondered how long it was going to take for that to be mentioned in the, in the table. It, it only took me 15 minutes. <laughs> so um, I have, uh, yeah, just like Marty. Um, I mean, when Marty and I, we were streaming during the day and then in the evenings, we, we pretty much were spending the evenings writing and prepping for the next day's show. And it was still a lot of fun um, to do that, but it, we didn't get in a lot of games. Um, I managed, I think, to get in three games other than Detective. So I was a little ahead of Marty there. And the first night there, um, I got to continue a tradition I have of I played uh, Lords of Vegas 
uh, with a gentleman named Mur Rockstro, who you may mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. sounds familiar. He's the guy from the that won the Jack Vassell Memorial Fund auction for the Gamer mockumentary a few years ago. I got to play that with uh, he and his wife, and also Mariana Lennox um, of Mariana and Trey Lennox, who are uh, big people on the board game convention cir- circuit, who I think know a lot of us content creators. Uh, but anyway, I got to uh, that was the one that grabbed me by my whiskers was that game of Lords of Vegas because it was a three-way tie um, at the very end. And as as far as I know, uh, that is absolutely unheard of in Lords of Vegas is having a game that close with that many players. It was just full of twists and turns and big gambles, big risks, big payoffs. It was a great game of it. And uh, if anyone out there has a chance to play Lords of Vegas, I totally recommend checking it out because uh, it, it's a really good game. I've never played. I've never played either. Gen Con, make it happen, Chaz. Oh, definitely. Let's let's do that. We'll we'll uh, we'll go BGG some hot room. Hmm? The BGG Hot Room. There we go. Let, let's do it. Let's do it. I mean, it's not like we're going to have a ton of dice. Well, is it Lords of Vegas, that's not the one with dice. I'm, I'm confusing them. Yeah, you're thinking of it's a, it's a little quick game. It has something to do with Vegas. Um, oh, no, Las Vegas is the game where you have the six um, yes. six little pieces of cardboard that represents it, and you roll your dice. That's like one of my top three, top five favorite games of all time, uh, Las Vegas. You love Vegas games. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, that's uh, probably true. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I was not prepared. I'll probably agree. <laughs> See, Chaz, you talked about spending nights writing scripts and all. RDTN, all you got, if you look on your screen, you'll see a bunch of bullet points. That's it. That's all we do here, man. I, but I just, I want, you know, just, just for clarification and, and con- comparison's sake, my answer to Marty's last question should show just how important it is for me to script out and be prepared for everything or else you get results like that. So, so I made sure to pull Marty aside and say, Hey, I got my laptop. Let's type up some more things and let's work on tomorrow's stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I didn't want to sit there um, responding like I would to that last last question. Now, you and I, Chaz, got to play two games together. That was uh, fun. One was uh, um, British versus Pirates. Yeah, that was really neat. And, and I was really excited to, to play that one, especially because you actually were going through the exhibit hall at one point and you kind of you know, came back to me and said, Hey, you got to come check out this game I found. And I believe I've seen their booth at some other conventions previously, but you know, working the conventions, I've never had a chance to really dig in and, and, and talk to them about it. This time we had a chance to talk to them about the game, get a copy of it, play it and try it out. And you know, uh, that was one of the few games we got to play together. What was your impression? I enjoyed it. So we just played the simple start scenario. So it was pretty straightforward, but Tony, I think this is something you may like. Do you remember, they said that it was actually inspired from this. Remember, Remember when you and I played Pirates of the Spanish Main from WizKids with the constructible pirate ships? And the tiny, tiny, tiny dice? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's ve- it was inspired by that without the collectible part. So these are nice ships and everything on a hex board. And But what's cool about it is uh, positioning really matters. So now, do you remember the airship game that never really came out from Catalyst Game Labs that we were really excited about? Was that not, um, oh God, it wasn't Leviathan. It was... Um, it was No, that was it. Leviathan. Oh, okay. And you remember how you had the broadside, oh, yeah, the guns were on one side. You could take damage. That's it. So that's this game. So as you pull up broadside to somebody and you shoot, you're actually doing damage to one side of their their boat. And if enough damage is done, it affects that one side. So then you want to position yourself to swing around so you're not taking all the damage on that side. It's a really cool little tactical uh, game that plays uh, really quick. And I, I can't wait to try it with you sometime. Okay, can't wait to try it either. Maybe next time so you don't make me play some 
poo-poo game or something, but that's good. That's another discussion for some other time. What'd you think, Chaz? I liked it. Uh, I got that feeling of... There, there's a, a book series called uh, Honor Harrington, where she is this admiral of this space navy. And there's these space battles in this book series. And in it, like, they have to, like, have these big, huge spaceships that they are turning around to, to the uh, port or starboard side, have all these missiles hit so that, like, they don't hit where their armor's already damaged and they're rolling their ships around. And I got that feeling of, like, oh, no, bring her around, bring her around so we don't get hit by the, the enemy cannons on this part of our ship that were damaged. And you had to track with the wind and use that to your advantage. And there were some little cards where you could use some surprises. And I really liked the system that the game has where the captains um, increase the morale of your crew. And as you have the captain tell the crew to, to do things, it's a resource that gets diminished and you have to replenish it. So you have to also manage this morale of your crew and the lower their morale, the more susceptible they'll be to certain types of attacks. Um, that little morale system and the little simple armor system that's in it, uh, I, I really liked both of those things that were in the game. Yep, so they have a, uh, they had two Kickstarters and we got a copy of the first version, but they're, they, they second one's already funded and it's going to be shipping later this year and it's more upgrade bigger bigger pieces and they say it's a little more epic this first game is supposed to be played in 60 minutes the next version of the game adds like scenarios and more mechanics to make it a little bit more in depth but he was still trying to keep it at 90 minutes or less because his goal was to have like a miniature war game but played in a shorter amount of time than what you usually play these types of games yes I, now i've always loved the ship combat i was really excited for leviathans i hate it never came back to the store. I mean, we saw it, but it was just so expensive and there was no support for it. So I'm excited about the pirates, you know, can play a little pirates of the Caribbean music behind. I'm liking yep. this. I'm liking it. And maybe it'll get to the table more than tanks, which I really enjoyed, but that's beside the point. <sighs> yeah, I, I, I did too. And they do have some really cool scenarios. Like you have some of the merchant ships and you have to basically guard a merchant ship to get it from one side of the map to the other, while the other team is trying to blow up the merchant ship. So these nice little scenarios, as opposed to just a meeting in the middle and trying to blow each other up. So is that it? Is that all the fun stuff you did? Danny? No, there was one more game. What no chance? Um, let's see. We got to play. Oh, well, the last night that we were there, we got to play the mind and clink uh, with a couple clink, of yeah. Uh, yeah, a couple of uh, the uh, Pair of Dice Paradise supporters who have kind of supported my own channel uh, since day one, pretty much. So we uh, that's the other tradition I have at Dice Tower Con is the last game of the convention I always play uh, with Jason and Jonathan. Um, and Marty joined us for that. And big news just today. Just today, late breaking. Here it comes. Are you done? Well, usually you like to insert stuff. I just thought I'd help insert it there instead. Well, now I don't have to insert anything. Thanks. So that you go, you saved me about five minutes of editing. You're welcome. I'm here for you, even though Chaz was there for you at Dice Tower Con. <laughs> so today we got a review copy of the brand new expansion of Clank and Space from Renegade it's Games. Oh, cool. I just opened it and I really hate that I did not have this yesterday oh, when yeah. we met a couple friends of ours that we're going to be talking to. Guys, this may be, to me, the best expansion of either Clank or Clank in Space because of this new mechanic they've added. Why? Why? Tell us why. Tell, tell okay, me. Tell me why. Gosh, are you done? No, tell me why. I was looping it back. That's the name of the episode. <laughs> I see what you did there. That was clever. That was clever. What this uh, introduces is these new type of cards called scheme 
cards. So these are cards that stay in play uh, at the beginning of the game. They're supposed to tell like a little bit of a, of a story, but it's, it's just a little flavor text. There are three rows on these cards that indicate where cubes could go. There's a phase one, phase two, phase three. These are bad things that happen. The scheme cards are basically the, uh, I forgot the guy who's the boss who's trying to attack you. This is, he's planning a scheme and trying to do bad things. What happens is, is when you have to draw tokens out of the bag, you know, typically in Clank, you take the black tokens that are pulled out. They do nothing. You put them to the side. Now they do something. They will actually go on this card. And if enough black cubes go on a phase of a card, it triggers and something bad happens. Let's say, for example, it may wipe the, the market row of a certain type of card. And then you have to kind of, you have to refill it. But that's, that's not the only thing. Black cubes are also now resources because this scheme also has the ability to remove cubes from that card. So like there's an example here. It's like if you pay two credits on your turn, you could take a cube from the card and put it in your play area. At the end of the game, you get one point for every black cube that's in your play area. But you also have cards that use black cubes as resources. So when you play it, you might be able to spend a black cube to help boost it. So now the black cubes do things. That is so cool. And they found a way to expand on Clank without like adding some big, huge, new, confusing wrinkle. It just uses some of the resources that were sitting right there in front of your face. Oh, I like that. See, Marty, it's good that he's here because he can feign enthusiasm better than me. No, I think, no, he's dead serious. He doesn't have to fake it like you do and just sit there grumpy. Okay, that's fair. I'll, I'll give that. Wait, 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 <clears throat> wait, wait, wait. Let me try. Let me try. <clears throat> I'm really glad to be here, guys. No, I'm still good at feigning enthusiasm. <laughs> oh! <laughs> no, that wow. does that. that uh, okay, that was good, Chaz. I'm proud of you. That was even ad lib. I'm proud of you. Or, or have you been scribbling? Have you been writing? Yeah, I've been, I've been scribbling down. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, you're, uh, you're, you're right, Marty. I, that... Uh, finally, something to but do. But there's also like. new there's new tiles on the board, and if you there's some areas where you can spend a cube to do things. Maybe heal too. Uh, maybe get a boost in something. But what happens is on the scheme card, if all three phases trigger, like all black, the, uh, there's a black cube in every space. Something really bad happens. Like from now on, every time that you buy a card, it costs an extra credit. Mm. There's another one. At the end of your turn, every at the end of your turn, a player must trash a card in his hand that's a non-starting card. So now Ooh. it's making you call good cards. So that's an interesting mechanic because it has a co-opy feel to it. If this triggers, it affects everybody. So all of you together may try to keep that from triggering, but it's not like you're wasting your time because those black cubes can then be used as victory points or triggering something else in the card that you might have bought earlier in the game. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a whole new fresh mechanic on this game, and I, I can't wait to try it out. It does sound good. And again, that's called... Um, Clank in Space Apocalypse, and that's going to be out at Gen Con. So remind because I've last I've played Clank a couple of times since Clank in Space, but it was the original. And if I remember correctly, in space where you also in, you had to have certain things happen in order to either open the doors or yep. some. Okay, I thought that was it. Uh, and again, there's not much to it. It's honestly just a couple tiles, a few extra cards to mix into your deck, and these scheme cards, and that's the entire expansion. But this new mechanic of all of a sudden black cubes being a valuable and useful resource is really neat. So, Chaz, the, yesterday Marty mentioned it. We had listeners of the show drive two hours and play games with us. And we cannot thank them enough because 
who would subject yourself to driving actually two hours to and two hours back, four hours to sit down with Grumpy Tony? Who would do that? But these were royal. That would be uh, Kent and Courtney from Lumberton, North Carolina. You deserve a gold star. Not one gold star like a review. No. <laughs> one star. Did they just uh, come to your uh, regular game group at, at your local game store, or was it something else, a uh, different event? They contacted us on email a couple weeks ago. It just happened to be Kent's birthday. Oh. What happens is Tony uh, puts these little special notes into all of our pod pledge backer uh, little mason Shh, jars Marty, when he Marty, sends Marty, them out. Marty, What? Chaz is getting his at Gen Con. I didn't put it in his box. Oh, well, you can now you have to write a little special I, note. It's written. Me. I just... I'll tell you later. Let's not tell him in okay. front of him, okay? <laughs> so anyway, if by the way, if you want to back our show, you can go to podpledge.com slash RDTN. But anyway, so it, Tony sends out this little special note to everybody. So he sent a special note to them saying, hey, if you're ever in town, come by and we'll play a game. And they said, you know what? We want to see if you guys are interested in that. They said, we'll drive there. We'll meet you at your local game store and just hang out all day and play some games. And we did. And it was a blast. Very cool. Meeting them was a blast. Yes, it was. Now, I had met them before. I had met them at CMON, and uh, Chaz, they were actually at uh, Dice Tower Con. I ran into Courtney um, a couple times while I was there, but I never saw Kent. Yes, I remember the conversation with her. Yeah, she was very nice. Um, yeah, and it was just her. And it, yeah, it wasn't her husband. But, um, oh, that's neat. Well, it's nice to be able to put a memory of a face to the suggestion of a person. <laughs> First off, they came, and they it was his birthday, but yet he... Wanted to play Lorenzo El Magnifico, which, as you know, is one of my favorite Hold games. on. No, no. What? Come on. Let's do this right. Lorenzo El Magnifico. Plus expansion. Plus the expansion. And for his birthday, we let him win because we're nice. <laughs> oh, very, very charming. <laughs> no. very, oh, my gosh. No. No, we no. didn't. He, he, no, no. He beat us. He, uh, oh, no. he annihilated us. <laughs> and uh, it's because of this new thing they put in there called the the families, and they get, which give you special abilities. And, and none of us really took advantage of it like he did. None of us shut him down. He, he just destroyed it. So here's so Tony, you've already talked about the expansion. Right. For me, I don't think I need that in, in every game. Okay. I don't know that the extra tower and family abilities added enough to me to say this isn't needed in every game because, and we talked about this at the end of the game, the family abilities that you get so direct, the type of strategy that you may want to use, that you neglect some of the other things that made the game so enjoyable that I liked, such as the engine building. Mm -hmm. None of us really built a really meticulous engine, except for maybe triggering something on that particular family card. So it's almost like the family card drove the focus of your entire game. And I kind of liked it being less about that and more of everybody trying to achieve the same thing the same uh, way. Okay. So counterpoint, that's okay. because your family card and his family card had very dynamic abilities. You had the one that gives you the, if you get so much faith, you get special resources as you reach the various tracks. Right. And he got a free card if he turned in seven workers. Now my special ability just gave me, two measly coins for every army. I didn't utilize that. And Courtney's had the extra player piece. So she really didn't have to drive that engine. Now, okay. Okay. That's, that's a great point. That's a great point. I guess that's what I ended up with was, was like that. The extra tower, I guess that's kind of cool. The varying price of the towers that moved yeah. each round to a different, I wasn't so crazy about that either. That was, eh, I don't know, but and, and the five-player thing, I don't know that I ever play five-player. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Okay. The expansion is always in my box. You will always play it. So if you don't want to play it, 
That's fine. Get out your your box. No, no, I'll, I'll gladly play it, but I don't know that I would say every time I play this game, I must play with the expansion like I would with maybe some other games. I think the bidding for the families is probably my favorite part. And, th- and that, that was cool. But anyway, that's just my first impression. We have already talked about this. And Chaz, I don't know. Have you ever played Lorenzo? I've played it with you, Marty. I don't recall that. We played it at Simon Expo uh, last year. So in 2017 uh, at the Simon Expo. And we played it with... Um, we oh, played from- it with Dave and uh, Jeremy from Man vs. Meeple? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you're saying you have played it? I have. I did. <laughs> I completed the game and logged it in my memory book. And Kent was also nice enough to teach us another game from Pioneer, no, from Tasty Minstrel Games called Pioneer Days, which is also a dice-based Euro-y type game. It's a Western theme. Tony loves his Western themes. So we thought this this might be right up uh, Tony's alley. How'd it go? Okay. So when I always become a grumpy Tony. It's not because I'm saying that a game is bad. I am not saying this. I am not saying this 100%. That is not it. But there was an event that Chaz, have you ever had a game that something occurs that it left a ketchup taste in your mouth? (laughs) Son of a, (sighs) yeah, I I know. I know what you mean. So go, go, go on. So, so there is this part of Pioneer Days, and I understand it from a theme. I understand it from the action, but this event occurred at the very at the very end. You have to increase these four tracks of they're they're disasters. disasters. They're natural disasters that occur during the game that cause you pain uh, to have to spend typically resources right in order to recover from them. Yeah, and all four of them triggered and it completely wrecked my in-game scoring. I also didn't realize the importance of a couple of cards that were somebody Marty stockpiled on me because he got the right dice at the right freaking time. It, it left that ketchup taste in my mouth that I just could not swallow. It was, oh, I'm sure I, I need to play it again. I need to yeah. see if that uh, same impact happens, but Marty played it brilliantly. I'm kudos to Marty for give, give me a butt whooping on that one. No, no, I, I don't know. That I played it brilliantly. I just happened to pick up a couple of the cards and this is a dice drafting game. Somebody rolls dice at the beginning of the round and these dice have uh, emblems on them and our uh, symbols on them. And you take that dice and you can activate that ability. Uh, some of them, uh, everything will give you some form of money from one to six, but they also, you can use it to activate, to get a, a type of thing like medicine or wood or cattle, or you can actually claim a, uh, a personnel card that's beneath e- each of those dice emblems. I happened to grab two of those, uh, actually four, two of them said, get bonus points for every large wagon you had. And others get bonus points for every medicine that you have. So I just started stockpiling medicine the best that I could. And then at the end of the game, I just grabbed all these bonus points because I kind of had two cards synergize off each other and, and did it that way. And the other thing that just mm, your special mm. power, when you, at the end of a week or round or whatever you want to call it, who cares at the end of when all the dice get pulled out of the bag, you can meet special objectives and you collect victory points they call them favors but whatever marty's special ability was hey if i collect a favor i get one more it was a stockpiling victory point medicine healing engine over there that there was nothing that could stop it it was it was like oh my gosh 
And I, and I just sat over there with a case of butt hurt, and I, I, I did not take it like a man. And after such a poor play in Lorenzo, that didn't make it any better. Hey, and then after that, uh, I got to play a, my second game of Steamrollers. And the more I play that game, the more that I enjoy it. Chaz, have you ever played that one? I, I played it with you. No, um, I, <laughs> I, I was getting ready to go, are you freaking kidding me? Because I've only played it twice. How's that possible? <laughs> no, uh, I, I got to play it at, uh, oh, it was at BGG Spring. I got to demo it at the Stronghold table. Um, so yeah, I got to, I got to, I've played a, a game of it. And I'm glad to hear that the more you play it, the more you like it. Um, because sometimes when you're, the first time you play a game is in a demo environment at a noisy, busy convention. It's not the best place, best environment to cultivate a good gameplay. So I was kind of like, mm, I'll try it again, I guess, you know, because I, I think there's more to this game than I was able to to experience. And um, hearing you say that makes me kind of uh, excited to try and get it to the table again um, sooner than I would have otherwise. Well, you need to play it with us because, one, you don't have me constantly saying, pick a die. Draw on your card. Come on, let's move. This is a fast-moving game. Come on, Chash. I'm surprised Courtney didn't slap you yesterday. I was messing. I wasn't being serious. Oh, and also, uh, Tony, right after you left, uh, we got to play a another game that you got to play the other night, uh, Istanbul, the dice game. It was, it was a dice. Oh, my gosh. Every game we played yesterday had dice in it. And it should have made me a very happy boy. It, it did. So uh, we played Istanbul, the dice game. And, Tony, you've played that. And what we're going to do is actually let's take a five-minute initiative and talk about our thoughts on this game. So, Chaz, let me ask you, are you subscribed to the Miniature Market Daily Email? You know it. <laughs> I'm glad you are because I was not expecting you know it because that is a great way to get notified of all their great deals that are going on. Like for instance, just recently they ran their 80% off. They've got a ton of pre-orders going on. You can go out there and get some of the new Dark Heaven legends that are out there. There is a whole ton of stuff. Matter of fact, Chaz, I don't know if you listened to Marty's last talking when he was about miniature market. He was talking about the tiny terrain. Did you know that? Oh, it was music to my ears. As he it said. should have been. Because you know what you could use that tiny terrain in? You can use it, I would imagine, in all sorts of games that utilize them, like Warhammer or other things and whatnot. Probably you could build up a small little town for Detective as well. Oh, oh, there you go. You could actually like be pushing things across the table with a little stick uh, through all the terrain. There you go. Imagine that. See how that works? So that is at theminiaturemarket.com slash RDTN. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Recently, we got a game from AEG called Istanbul. Not the original, but the dice game. They have come out with a dice game version of their original board game placed in the same universe. Tony, I know you like your dice games. Love my dice games. When we got this in, I thought, okay, Tony is going to be very interested in this one. This was one of those that we played all those new games that night. This was the one that surprised me the most about how much I liked it. Oh, I can understand that, Marty. I mean, first off, the dice quality was amazing in this game. I mean, just, you know, what that was the first thing you put those out. I'm like, are those stickers? You're like, no, these are imprints. But then I'm like looking over it. It took us no time to learn how to play this game. Roll dice, match symbols, collect stuff, collect gems, because whoever gets to the required gem level, 
is the winner because there are red rubies all over the board that you can collect by either getting four matching symbols or collecting out of various sets of items. Oh, it was it was so easy to understand. And the board was simple enough that even I quickly <laughs> grasped how to play it. That's what's the beauty of this game. It, t- it takes no time to teach at all. You're going to roll a set of basically five dice and you have a card telling you you can get different things with them. You can spin the dice to actually try to collect items. Like you said, Tony, if you happen to roll four of a kind, you can pick up one of the rubies off the board that's trying to get towards the end goal. But more than likely, that's not going to happen. So what you could do is do things like you look at your card and says, oh, if I have two matching dice, I I can take a token. Let's say if it's a red, I can take a red token that I can use in a later turn as it represents that die. So if I get four red tokens and anytime I can turn those in and be able to get a ruby and you got two actions you can do on your turn and it's kind of has that little Yahtzee mechanic, Tony, because you got a crystal. You can say, I'm going to spend this crystal and re-roll a dice and take my chances and go with there. If some of the, one of the sides of the dice allow you to get money. There's one track on the board that allows you to spend money to get rupees. But Tony, the thing that impressed me the most and you blew us away the other night because this has somewhat of an engine building game yes it does because you can also spend the uh, the dice or the tokens that you accumulate to get these little mosques that give you ongoing abilities and that's where you rocked us now into your defense though i'm also got very lucky on my first roll i suddenly had three of a kind and i was able to quickly grab a moss that really helped me and move me forward as i was collecting those things but yeah i mean and i like how you can can't concentrate in all one area to care to do the rubies. You know, you said you got to turn in four of a certain, like the diamond rings. Well, when one of those rubies disappears, that increases to the next level. You have to turn in five. It gets harder down the track. And I really enjoyed that. Now we played this with four, had a blast. It was quick. It was easy to get through the rounds. I didn't feel like it stayed on the table, but you also got to play it with three. What'd you think of that? I enjoyed the three version because there's two sides of the board. There's a side for four player and a side for two and three. So for the two and three, the prices are a little bit different and also in that when you have to collect more rubies over the course of the game in order to win but again i learned from you and i decided to build a little engine tony so i was spending uh and in, in getting these mosques and there was one of them that uh, i had three different ones that kind of did the same thing anytime i turn in a die to collect two lira i also collected a certain color token I had two or three of those. So anytime I turned in a die, I got three tokens. Well, then it was really easy to turn in those tokens and and spin die later on in order to collect more rubies. When you first look at it, it's like, oh, this is just kind of a a roll dice, resolve dice, and, and try to get your stuff. But the Moss Man, I tell you, it's a sweet little engine game. And the both times I played both four and three player, it only took 30 minutes and probably only takes five minutes to teach. So for me, guys, this is one of those dice games. You know, I love my dice games. I chalk this up, you know, and like I've been saying lately, I've had fun. And this is it for Istanbul, the dice game by AEG. Really appreciated Marty getting this to the table and bringing it back from Dice Tower Con. Yeah, and if you have ever played the original game, I don't know that there's a lot of crossover. It's the same sort of thing. It's like you're trying to collect rubies. Of course, in the original game, you got all these locations you go to. It's a heavier game. So this gives you the same feel in the same universe, but in a much shorter time. If you've got friends who might not want to take time to play the full game, or you've just got like 30 minutes you want to feel, I swear you can pull this out, teach it real quick, and you can get this uh, taught pretty fast, and it, and it plays quick. Easy to set up, easy to teach, staying on my shelf. 
This is a winner for me. I was surprised how well I like this game. And actually, I'm going to go down and stairs and play it with Vanessa again after this recording. That's Istanbul, the dice game from AEG. Five minute initiative is complete. Chaz, sorry you had to sit there for five minutes and listen about Istanbul the Dice Game because you haven't played. But, Chaz, you and I want to talk about a game that you and I got to play at Dice Tower Con that Tony didn't get to play, but I think he's going to be excited to hear about. And that's the new game coming out at Gen Con from Portal Games. <laughs> from who? Portal Games. Portal Games. Say it a little bit better. It's what, Chaz? Yeah. What? It's de- It's Detective. Boy, that Yay. was the best intro ever. <laughs> Detective. Oh, boy. A modern, a modern Lord. I really should have looked this up. There's a colon name there, isn't there? <laughs> Just type portal detective, people. You'll figure okay. it out. That's the beauty of Google. I'm not sure I want to Google portal detective. I think that <laughs> you might get some unintended results. Just don't click on the image tab. By the way, Chaz, before, thank you so much for fixing our website. With the SSL. Did those tips and stuff help? Well, we're not getting Viagra commercials anymore, so yeah. <laughs> the new game coming out of Gen Con from Portal Games, Detective, a modern crime board game. Oh, yeah. So, Chaz, uh, you and I got to play this taught by Ignacy himself at at uh, Dice Tower Con. Now, we'd set this up. It was uh, it was you, myself, Jamie from the Secret Cabal, and his wife mm-hmm. uh, together mm-hmm. one night went into the demo room. Now, uh, Portal had this huge demo room set up running detective uh, demos all weekend long. Yeah. So he sat us down, and he started to teach us the game. And I said, but wait. It's 7 o'clock. I need to order some pizza. So we spent about 15 minutes placing an online pizza. We spent 15 minutes ordering pizza? Or was it just one of us that was sitting there for 15 to 20 minutes ordering pizza while the other three waited on him? How hard is it to order pizza? Well, I wanted to make sure you got four, you got six people eating that night and you got to make sure everybody's dietary needs are taken care of and that they get the tasty toppings that they want on their pizza. I, I think it's a perfect analogy for the amount of time you spent ordering that pizza while we were waiting to play detective is very analogous, yeah. is very similar to the amount of time people are enduring listening to you retell the pizza ordering story while they're waiting to hear about detective. Did you say analogous? It doesn't matter what he says. So tell me why people should buy this game. That's what I want to know. Tell me why I need to play this. I understand there's not a lot of replayability about this. I'm not seeing a whole lot on it. I know that you can't um, spoil anything, but I understand a whiteboard is needed or some type of flip chart. What made this game make you, as Jamie would say, from the Secret Cabal Gaming Podcast, jump out of his pants? For the record, Jamie's pants stayed on. But go ahead, Chess. I, yeah, I, I think um, I think that's how you become a, a, a portal uh, detective. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, so this game uh, we sat down and there's cards and there's laptops. So, you, so wait a minute, you don't you mean you don't play it standing up? You could. Well, actually, you, you might have to get up and pace around. Um, you know, and it could could be part of the game actually. But we sat we sat down at the table and there was a pile of notebooks and pens, a laptop, decks of cards, and I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, this is going to be like trying to learn first Martians all over again. And Ignacy comes to the table and no kidding, he teaches the entirety 
get this game in probably under 10 minutes. What would you say, Marty? Yeah, it was 10 minutes. And mainly it was just about the gamey portion of this. You have some Mm -hmm. cards with some icons. And he Mm -hmm. explains basically what each of the icons are. And basically how the game, there's kind of a built-in timer to the game. Mm -hmm. Each case, well, the idea is you're trying to solve some sort of mystery. It could be anything. It could be a a murder, a a theft, anything like that. A whodunit. And when you pick your scenario, it tells you there's a story. So there's a long story you're probably going to read through that introduces characters and everything. And on the back, there's like a question. It's like, who stole this necklace or something like that? And it says you've got four days to figure it out. Four and days in it, game time. Four days Maybe. in game time. Yeah. yeah. So Ignacy says, here's the deal. You've got a little game board over here. It's kind of like a little town. You have a, a lab. You have a police headquarters. And it's a little map of different places that you can go. And then there's a time tracker on it from like a, a day. is like a, what day it was nine to five or nine to four or something like that. And you have these clue cards. And these clue cards, when you read them, it'll say, okay, this clue will take you four hours. So then you, you spend that during your day. Well, there's your half day doing that. Mm-hmm. Because I think, Chaz, you said, well, what's going to keep somebody from just reading all these cards and trying exactly. to figure out the clue? Because there's each deck has like 40 cards in it, but you're only, he said, you're only going to see like 20 to 22 or something like that. Right. Well, depending on which branch you take through the deck, you could get to the same conclusions by taking a completely different branch and, and getting different clues that can lead you possibly to the same conclusions, which uh, when Tony, when you talked about probably not a lot of replayability, I'm thinking that this might be one of those games, these kind of story driven games where you might be able to play it with one group and then actually play it at least one more time with another group and get a different result and still enjoy the experience without feeling like you're rehashing everything uh, from scratch that you did the first time. Also, the amount of immersion that happens with this game started right with the get-go. When we sat down and Ignacy explained the rules, he gave us the quest book or case file book, and we started reading the intro flavor text. And right away it became apparent, oh, This isn't just flavor text to set up the scene. We're in the game already. We're learning. We got to pay attention to this. We're learning clues. And right after the flavor text is is finished, it's like, okay, what do you do first? And based on what you learned, you start your investigation. So how is this not like an RPG? Well, I guess you are somewhat playing a character and each of you have a special role or special ability that you can uh, take on your turn. It may be to generate some uh, tokens and tokens are also another resource that's uh, used uh, within the game where you can spend tokens to maybe flip over cards. Each Some of the clue cards have two sides to them and there's one side and when you get to the bottom, you have the option of maybe spending a token and flipping to the other which is part of the decisions that you constantly have to make in this game. Uh, after the first scenario is read, we had like a list of, of numbers, like maybe six or seven numbers. And those numbers pertain to a number on a card. And it could be like, let's say, uh, let's say a piece of jewelry was stolen. And you have the option to uh, interrogate a, a jewelry store owner. You have the option to look at this piece of jewelry in the lab or something like that. You have all these. As a group, you must decide what's the best path to, to take in order to solve this mystery. And that's where most of the discussion came from. And at that point, whenever a number, whenever you picked a card, you spent that time, you read the card, then you had another decision. Do you want to spend a token, these valuable resources that you have, to flip it over? 
and see if there's any additional information on the other side that might help you solve the case. And for as much of being as much of a story driven experience as it was, I was surprised at how much resource management there actually was because we had all of these different categories of tokens that we had to spend in order to investigate different areas. And we also had the clock. We had our time during this four days we had available that we had to constantly manage. And if we had to go to the lab and run a six hour uh, examination of some piece of evidence, well, you know, that's going to take up the time that we could have spent going and interrogating someone across town. We started to have to choose our steps very wisely to manage the resource of time that we had. So it wasn't just sitting around trying to solve puzzles. There was a real resource management aspect to the game as well. But did you like it? Well, hold on. You're jumping to the conclusion way too quick. Well, you know me. I, 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 I know you, but I'm just saying that for with everything that we've said, to be honest with you, you could spend 10 minutes or less reading 20 cards and the game will be done. That's not the game. The game is what Chaz said of taking notes, walking around the table, discussing what you know. And we didn't even talk about the website, Chaz, that you oh. ran. So tell us a little bit about the special website that Portal has set up, which is like a database that you use during the game. Yeah. So, okay, Portal has this dedicated website just for the game that they've set up that looks like a like crime scene investigation company website, you know, some police department's website. And on some of these cards, you'll get these like 10-digit codes. And maybe you'll collect some fingerprints or soil samples or a photo you find or a piece of evidence or something someone mentioned during a, a, an interview or a, an interrogation. And you'll get these codes and you'll enter them into the website and you'll start to log the evidence you found and you'll start to it'll start to also unlock additional information. Maybe you talk to somebody and he mentions a guy and you go plug in that guy's code and oh, there's a police file on this other guy and here's some clues that you might find in this guy's police file. But but when you're doing this so you have this whole website and and like what Marty said, you could just go through and speed read through all the cards and get it done in like 20 minutes and be done with it. But what I enjoyed in the game is we had Marty pouring over all these cards that were laid out on the table as we we're going along. We had Jamie looking up uh, things on the internet. We had um, his wife just taking these very thorough notes. She had like six pages of notes. I'm typing in stuff on this laptop and all of us are working on our individual components of this investigation, finding clues. Uh, I, my favorite part of the whole experience was we were kind of stuck and we're just kind of just talking and I start to get distracted by the website and I start typing in some things and looking at other things. And about after five minutes, I stop and I was like, guys, guys, wait a minute. See these two case files that we have on, on the website? If you look at this part of this case file and this other paragraph from this case file, did you guys ever notice that these two things are directly related and happened like an hour apart from each other? And, and it made us realize this connection between these two pieces of evidence that led to a whole new clue that took us in a whole new direction um, in our investigation. And we found it just by playing and discussing the, the evidence. You kind of mentioned about Jamie looking up things on the web. So on the cards and clues oh. themselves, there's an icon that's just a Wi-Fi icon. Oh my and it'll goodness. say, go Google this. Mm -hmm. And you would think, oh, this is just more flavor information. Nope. It's integral to the case that you're solving. What he's done, the person who wrote the story, and I can't remember the gentleman's name. It's one of Ignacy's good friends. Mm -hmm. Basically built like a historical based story to where you have to go and find out about something that may have happened 
happened in history that you can use as a clue to help direct you towards, uh, you know, trying to answer some questions that you've been trying to figure out. That I thought that was so amazing. When we ran into the first thing like that on a card that mentioned some historical event, we read the card. It's like, oh, that's that kind of interesting. That's kind of funny. You know, that was a weird uh, event they made up. And there was this little icon to go look it up on the Internet for more clues. So we go to Wikipedia and we look it up and we realize, we discover this was a real event. This was a real thing that actually happened in human history that wasn't that wasn't fiction. And they used things from that real event in history um, in the actual campaign. But it's just amazing that they wove reality and fiction together that way. So you actually learned something? Yeah, we, actually we did. And actually that was so interesting is after we were done, we talked about as much as the stuff we'd learned because none of us had known any of these things that that had happened in history. We didn't know mm-hmm. it existed. And it was like, that's really interesting. This really happened. And uh, Tony, here's the thing. If you, I know you love to get up at a table and walk around and pace and everything. <laughs> this is for you because this is exactly what we did. Again, remember, there's only like maybe 20 cards that you're going to look at. We spent three hours trying to decide what card are we going to pull out and read about? Because with each piece of information that we got, we tried to piece it together. And we talked about the whiteboard. So as we were there, they putting together a whiteboard. The next day, uh, Emerson Machuishi, you know, good uh, game designer friend of ours, uh, played in a group and they had a whiteboard set up. And he said it was like a police room. Basically, they were writing down with different color markers and they had like clues and suspects and they would draw lines between people to try to connect them. So most of the game is just talking. And the game is just there to keep it moving along and have a definite end. And what happens at the very end when your time runs out, you go to the website and you have to answer questions. And depending on how well you answer those questions, it gives you a score and you see how well you did over the course of that case. I came away with the feeling of it was something like um, the unlock uh, game series with the decks of cards with the numbers mixed with time stories mixed with a choose-your-own-adventure series of books. Um, That's kind of what I came away with it. Um, And and I I found it very, very enjoyable. But what part was most enjoyable to you? Was it the interaction with the people? Was it the uh, delving into the clues? What tripped your trigger there, Chaz? For for me, it was those moments. Uh, It was those moments where we'd all be just staring at the table and then someone would say, well, what about this? And that would make someone else go, oh, wait, yeah, that's related to this. And then we'd all go, oh, let's go check out that thing from the other card. Let's go over here across town and investigate that. And we'd all kind of have that epiphany at the same moment sometimes. Or one of us would have an epiphany and kind of lead the others um, down a, a new trail that we hadn't thought of yet. Those, those moments were the group kind of came together that way and either had that feeling of exploration or discovery. Those, those were my favorite parts. And on the very, it was very interesting on the very last day of, of the game that we were playing on the fourth day, we knew we didn't have a lot of time. There was a lot of discussion of what clues are we going to investigate because we've only got eight hours and we can't afford to waste this. We got to make this as valuable as possible. Is And that's where we almost, it was almost 2v2. It's like, no, we should do this. No, we should do this. And we kind of talked back and forth and we thought, okay, as a group, we decide we're, we're going to do this. So the narrative portion of this game was off the charts, off the charts, uh, because I don't think I've ever played a game that was so immersed. I mean, Tony, you said, how is it like an RPG? Definitely has a feel of an RPG because it creates an experience that you'll never forget 
but there's still a game there. So it's not totally open-ended. But the cool thing also is we actually found clues that mm. would uh, that would allow us to pull a card out of a deck that would go into a case later on. So there were six cases in the in the base game. We found a clue that said you're going to insert this into the in the stack of case two. Come to find out, there is an overarching story between all six of these cases. So once you're done, it's not like you're going to go necessarily to the next case and have to relearn all these new people and new locations and everything. There's going to be some sort of thread that ties it together. And that's where it has the kind of a legacy aspect to it. Uh, we did ask Ignacy, is this game replayable? He did kind of say, Chaz, like you did, well, you could play it again and you could hear some different stories. But in the end, he said, it's not replayable. I mm -hmm. never really meant it to be replayable. You play through this once, you're going to spend 15 to 18 hours playing through these six cases and that'll be your experience, much like a pandemic pandemic legacy game. L let me tell you how I plan on playing this game, actually. And I kind of floated this idea uh, to see if if Ignacy would would shoot it down and say, "Oh, that won't work," or whatever. But how I what plan was that on, impression on playing this of Ignacy game, again? <laughs> I I'd rather not repeat it. Okay. How I am going to try and play this game is I think when I get my copy of it, I'm going to get out my own little cork board and whiteboard and set up a little dedicated card table. And I, I think I'm going to try and play this game almost in real time and like come at it like for like a half hour and investigate something, flip over the cards, read through it, find some clues, log into the website, enter my data, look at what I get, and then go back and chew on it and think about it, you know, f for the rest of the afternoon. And then maybe that evening, come back for a half hour and then, you know, actually play out four day case over the course of four days and really dig into the clues and chew on it and play with it in my mind. And I think that this game would really actually lend itself to being able to be broken up in that way. So I don't think you necessarily have to play it in one big three hour chunk. I think you could, as long as, um, you know, you write down things and remember it from, from game session to game session. I think you could split it up actually that way too, and have it be maybe just as enjoyable. And also I didn't mention too about the, uh, the website. So you have a login. So you have an account that you'll be logging in with and whatever you've accumulated information you've accumulated from case to case stays from case to case. So you may get to case three or four and come to find out there's a relationship to maybe something you found back in case one to something you found in case four. Maybe there's a fingerprint that shows up that you found in case one that now shows up here. So you can identify those particular fingerprints. So again, it all carries through. Now, Chaz, you talk about playing hour to hour. That does bring up one thing I think people need to consider. One, the game is really not replayable. Two, much like Pandemic Legacy, you probably want the same static group to play mm. all six cases because I think it'd be really tough to play a couple cases and bring somebody new in. It's almost like saying, hey, I'm going to watch Game of Thrones, but start at season three. Can somebody just fill me in real quick? I think it would be a long time of trying to catch somebody up because you've, if somebody comes in at case three, you spent six hours with this story, learning these characters and everything that you have. I just don't think you could dump that onto somebody else. So I think it is a commitment to play with one single group and you have to understand you're only going to play it once. I can see that. Definitely. Alpha player, address that. Unless you just got somebody that is just that type of alpha player, there's not really a mechanic to keep somebody from being an alpha player. If you just got somebody that's real bolsterous and a leader and everybody else just follows and does what they says, I think that's going to be there. Yeah, if you if you have someone, you have your list of 12 potential clues to go investigate and you have one guy who's always like, we're going to go investigate this one. Now we're going to go investigate that one next. And 
you know, takes control of the group, that, that player is probably going to do that in any game that you do, and you're never going to be able to get a- away from that. But everything else was very discussion-oriented, which I think would help mitigate that a bit. And we asked Anasi, um, so what? I mean, this game is obviously ripe for expansions. He says, well, that depends on how well it does. Mm-hmm. If the game does well enough, uh, all he has to do is sell more cards because the board and chips or, or tokens and everything can be used from game to game. It's just new decks of cards. So if people are interested in this, it is coming out at Gen Con. If you pre-ordered it, it's on its way right now. Gen Con pre-order pickup, I can't remember when it ends. Uh, it may be too late for that right now, but it will be out in store soon after uh, Gen Con. So, Tony, it's uh, it's one of those things I think you would enjoy if you like a good narrative game, but understand it is a commitment. Well, I, I'm used to commitment. I've been married for 26 years. I can handle commitment. That's not an issue. I've played Pandemic Legacy. I can do that. Now, I'm looking it up, Do you and save me some time here. Um, let's see. The designer was Ignacy Chevichek. Was it? It's his game. He's been working on it for over two years. Well, I'm, I'm wondering. I remember. Okay, I remember him talking about where he was driving to meet a designer in France. This was on their podcast, and no, it was on one of his videos. And he was driving back, and he was, and it was about two years ago. He was so stoked about this a game and he that's all he could say and i'm gonna have to ask him when i see him at gen con is this that game or is it something else that he was doing one of the designers listed may be the author that he's talking about the guy who basically wrote the story okay yeah i I don't know but he was very 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 i mean you know you can tell when ignacy gets excited about stuff but this time i mean he was just like i cannot wait to get this to mark i do think that this game will probably do better overall than first martian's because I think the barrier to entry is a lot lower. Chaz, like you said, 10 minutes and we're up and running. I think that's kind of hard to do with First Martians when you consider setup and teaching a game. Oh, I absolutely agree that this is totally way more accessible uh, than, than First Martians. Even though they're the, you know, the, Game sessions may be three hours long or so or more. Uh, the barrier to entry is so much lower than First Martians. When you look at it, it can play one to five players. Oh, if it only could have been six, but that's okay. Be- <laughs> best with two? Well, would y'all say that's good? Best with two? I don't see. I think somebody just put that in. To be honest with you, I'd rather play it with uh, four. Mm-hmm. I think two is, when you got four brains working on it, I think it's just going to go smoother. Mm-hmm. So is less likely to miss something. So anyway, so that's it. That's uh, this detective. Uh, if it sounds interesting to you, this will be coming out uh, soon. Uh, both Chaz and I, in fact, everybody Chaz that uh, was in our group, Jamie and his wife, both all really enjoyed it. Uh, Jamie said this is actually his now top number one type narrative deduction game, even beating out like Sherlock Holmes consulting detective, which he really enjoyed. This sounds like something interesting for you. Again, going to be at Gen Con. Prior, go get it and uh, let us know what you think. So, do either of you guys play Elder Signs from FFG? Yes. Have you seen the latest Arkham Museum crate that came out for that game from the Broken Token? Oh my gosh, what a beast. It holds like every expansion, every token, every card, every piece of dice in there. It is a gorgeous organizer. And Tony, I know how you like your organizers, so you might want to check check this out, especially if you have a lot of the uh, expansions. Marty, is that museum crate 
quicker than putting together that incredible Gloomhaven organizer that we know is sitting there waiting for me to put together on the <laughs> workshop. I just, I got to bring myself to it. I mean, the museum crate, it looks like a stupid museum. And if you're going to be at Gen Con, make sure to swing by the Broken Token booth because they have a special Gen Con dice tower that you can pick up at the show. It looks gorgeous. has Gen Con on. It has a little acrylic plexiglass on the front so you can see a little dice tumble as they go through. So you make sure to go by, see them, pick up that dice tower. Or if you're not going to be going, go check them out at thebrokentoken.com. Now, guys, before I ended up at Dice Tower Con, I had a little experience. I got to go to a different convention. It was an eSport convention. Now, do you guys know what eSports are? I, I, when I'm scanning the channels on TNT or whatever, TNN or one of those channels, they have an eSport competition live. I stop there and say, so these people are going to watch these guys play a modern warfare game. I'd rather go watch the BBC Dart Championships. And I know what eSports are because I just heard Tony describe what, what they are. <laughs> so esports are basically sports where you get paid for playing video games. Okay. So there's all different types of games, right? There's first person shooters, which is talking about overwatch league is a really big league right now. So it just so happens. My son, uh, Travis, uh, is big into fighting games. So before the dice tower convention, he wanted to go compete in a Tekken tournament down in Daytona beach. And we went down there to, uh, check it out. He, he went down there to compete he knew he wouldn't do that well because these are the top players in the entire world. People from all over the world, about eight to 10,000 people come to this place and play all sorts of fighting games from like Street Fighter, Tekken, Super Mario. It was interesting. I thought, okay, I know how this is going to be because I've been to many conventions. Guys, let me tell you, an esports convention is way, way different than a board game convention. You know how board game conventions... You know, you have a lot of people, Chaz, you like yourself, you say you're an introvert, you know, you kind of just want to get with a few people, maybe sit down and play games. Esports conventions, guys, they're there to party Oh, and they're there to party hard and they have a good time and they love their weed. I smelled weed all weekend long. Which kind? Dandelion, clover, e-weed? It was crazy. And so there's just this whole big group of people that are, they're really into fighting games and they're talking and they're laughing and they're really outgoing. And they had this basically a small basketball arena that had like a stage in the middle and people who were competing would come out on stage like wrestlers and they'd have like uh, entry songs and they would have posses come in with them and they would go to the ring and set up and play. It was, it was crazy. I, I was so glad to get to experience something like this. But what was so interesting was the demographics of this, I was not expecting. By far, the most people, well, number one, by far, it was very male-dominated. This was a fighting tournament game. There was, there was a lot of males uh, there that was competing. Then it was mainly Asian and Afri- African-American males, which I also thought was interesting because if you go like watch Overleague and first-person shooters, it's a totally different demographic. So I always thought... That's really cool how this one particular genre of game attracts a certain uh, demographic. So it, it was just totally different than what I was expecting to experience because, you know, board gaming is, you know, we were there this weekend, Chaz. There's a lot of different people at this board game invention, right? I mean, yes. there, there's tons of different people of all different backgrounds and genders and whatever. I just thought it was really interesting 
to see this other side, this other type of convention, which I was just totally not expecting to see. So how'd he do? Wow. Well, I told you, he, he didn't do very well. He got he got knocked out first round. But I will say this. I would gladly spend, it was $25 just to be a spectator. I spent 25 bucks and spent all day in that arena watching them do the top eight of each game. Uh, basically, when they got to that point, they were in the big arena and had these big video screens. And people were going crazy. And people were like, pick people to choose to, to pull for. Like uh, in this one tournament, uh, it was nothing. It was like six Seven um, Asians uh, that were in the top eight, and there was one American. And boy, did people get behind this one American every time he got up, and there were people going, USA, USA. I mean, people were standing on their feet and cheering. It was crazy. It was crazy fun, but it's just crazy. This takes me back to the running man. Was there a guy up there taking bets and doing that where he's on stage saying, you know, dude, get this. Uh-huh. There was a person walking around the stands taking bets. Mm-hmm. There was a guy on the floor walking around going, who wants such and such? And people, he would, he was collecting bets for the people that were on stage currently getting ready to, uh, to do their uh, battle. Sure. Did you win Holy any money? Moly. No, I didn't bet anything. I didn't. I, and here's the thing. A lot of these guys are superstars. Like I said, they come from all over the world. So they are superstars. And these guys, they make, uh, one of the guys that won one of the tournaments we looked up has so far, he's 18 years old and he's already made over a hundred thousand dollars in winnings. And that's not counting a sponsorship that he's part of. Wow. And I play board games. Yeah. They, they ain't that in board games, guys. I mean, okay. I guess if you're really good at magic, right? I think there's the pro yes. tour in yeah. magic. I guess you're really up there, but no, I mean, we're talking, we're talking like serious sponsors, like every Every person that was in the top eight probably was part of a team of, of a sponsor group where they had the special jerseys and special shirts and everything. I'm just, I was just blown away and just had to share that with people how so different it was. Well, there is, you know, I know um, overseas there is more of a culture of having the video game cafes and other things like that. And, you know, that is a large part for your entertainment budget. You know, it's a, it is a large, large thing. Wow! Do you not? Did you never watch this move? This shows on TNN or when they're doing that? Have you never watched that? No, I, I have watched some of them, and you're right that a lot of the fighting game championships was they do so on TNT, which Travis watched is the same is the same sort of crowd. But I couldn't really see the crowd because okay. you're, you're just looking at the people on stage. They have announcers, you know, they have like official announcers like a uh, for, for these things and everything. And there's there's MCs and there's like a guy who gets on the stage is like, and now coming out from Korea and they're like name a name and there's like all the sparks and lasers would go off and the entry music and typically guys just walked in with their fighting pads and just walked down and got to the table it was kind of anticlimactic for some of them but some of them is like dance moves they had like eight like uh, one like eight, eight guys coming out and like dancing and then they, they parted ways and like the guy who was it was in the championship walked down the middle of them it was a good time <laughs> It was a good time. I highly recommend if you ever have an eSport tournament or event come to your town, go check it out. But there is one thing I, I want to close this out with. And there's one thing that I noticed, not only at uh, Dice Tower Con, but also th- this other convention. It's called Urinal Etiquette. Oh, Lord. Guys, I want to I do a little quiz with you, okay? And this is for people who are used to going to the men's room and and using uh, urinals on the wall. So this this isn't disgusting or anything. I'm just, there's some etiquette that goes on here that a lot of people probably know of and a lot of people don't. I'm going to set the stage for you. Uh, imagine that you go into a restroom and there are five urinals along the back wall. There's from your left to right, one, two, three, four, five. If you walk in there and somebody is in stall number one or urinal number one, 
Which one do you go to? Is this like playing playing detective? Do I need to get a whiteboard? No. Chaz, which one do you go to? Two, three, four, or five? Oh, I think the, the answer is obvious. You, you go to the first empty urinal in the next bathroom down the hall. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's, that's, what, that's what I would You do. go to number five. Go to number five. If there is somebody at one and three, what do you do? Go to number five. Go to number five. If there's somebody at one and five, what do you do? Three. Hold it. Why in the heck... When I go to the restroom and I'm at number five, people, and there's nobody else there, people keep going to four. Maybe they're get, trying to get up close to you to get a contact high from all that weed you're around at the esports <laughs> convention. But, but to Chaz's point, if, if it's one, three, and five are occupied when you walk in, then you turn around and hold it. Then you wait. Then you wait. Then yeah. you wait. It's kind of like, you know, if you got all this space, why sidle up to somebody else? I don't really, it doesn't really weird me. I don't think it's just, it's, it's like when you go to a movie theater, right? If you're the only person sitting in a movie theater and somebody comes and sits right beside you, you're like, dude, why? They're lonely. They want to share the experience. But I mean, this goes back to share the experience. Yeah, they're sitting next to him. Maybe the same thing. Maybe he wants to strike up a conversation. I don't know. It's the same thing that I brought up on our Pod Pledge channel that if you donate $25 to Pod Pledge RDTN, you can be part of the Slack channel where we have interesting discussions, just like what Marty brought up, where I bring in and you walk in the restroom and I'm like, people are talking in here. Oh, as you say, and Slack, you can also use that while you're going to the bathroom as well. So. Okay, do you guys, are you guys on your phone talking to somebody when you go to the restroom? And that's what we talked about in our Pod Pledge channel. Yep. That irritates the mess out of me. You can't wait. Oh, we're going to have a lot fewer conversations online, Marty. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm 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 talking about on the phone, using voice to talk to people. Oh, oh, we're going to have a lot fewer phone calls, Marty. Oh, I don't know. It's just, you know, we talk about con etiquette. Well, there, there's other types of etiquette, too. I'm just saying, you know, leave, leave, leave a gap. Leave, leave a space. When you go to the theater, leave a space between you and the next person beside of you. It's just common courtesy. It's, it's, it's something simple. And it's not like you got to be taught this when you're a kid. It's like, uh, it's like something that's been inherited over time. It's, um, it's evolution. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. One game I've been excited about coming out from Capstone Games is Carthago. And I just apologize because I'm probably going to say Cathargo every once in a while because that's what I used to think it was. This is a game played from two to four players. It's by Bernard Einstein and Ralph Binert. I apologize if I say that wrong. And why I was interested in this game, guys, is because I love games where cards have multi-purpose uses, such as like Bruges from Stefan Feld. That's what is the mechanic of this game. You have cards that you can take actions, you can use it to get money, or you can use it for resources. And on your turn, their whole goal is to generate a little bit of an engine in order to place guild seats in a hall and get a bunch of boats. And what I love about this, even though it's victory point based, it's easy to calculate the victory points because you just calculate the number of guild seats that you've gotten over the course of the game times number of boats. Boom! There's your score. And that's what I loved about this game too, Marty. It was that final end scoring, not a whole lot of counting because you knew what you needed to do. You knew you had to clear out for your guild seat. You knew you needed to get boats and you had to do that by getting those contracts on those boats. I enjoyed the fact that on the boat, it wasn't a whole bunch of collecting resources. It was like you said, the cards, the cards were coming out and it was like, you want this boat and you need to ship this resource. It wasn't collecting a whole bunch. 
It was very simple. It was a quick game to explain. I like that about this game. And I definitely like that we were able to say, okay, where is everybody near the end? It was easy to figure out how well you were doing in this game. Well, I must have played a different game than Tony or else he's in a mirror universe. Because when I sat down to play Carthago the first time, I was incredibly intimidated. You got a, a little <laughs> rondelle where you're taking actions. You got the boats you can buy. You got this little area in the bay that you can go have your boats fight. You got resource cards you got to buy. You got this little placard in front of you. You got this guild hall. You got your hand of cards. You got uh, this little bonus points area. Area, and you use all of your cards to manage all these resources and take part in all of these little subsections of the game. And when I first played it, I felt like I was standing at the foot of a sheer cliff wall and slowly would find little finger holds and footholds to climb my way up. And as the game went on, I started to figure out how the synergy of buying boats and when to use your resources and when to play your cards in your hand and hold the cards in your hand so you don't have your engine stall out. I started to learn how all of that works together. And when I got done with my first game of it, I felt totally prepared and ready to play my next game of it where I would feel like I knew what I was doing. But I enjoyed it. Yeah, and it's, what's cool is, is on your turn, you just pay, pick one of five actions. You got that rondelle, you take your little player piece, and you put it there, and you take that action. Like you said, Chaz, it could be uh, putting out a contract. It could be uh, putting up your residence hall, getting you more workers. That Those workers could be used to go to the guild hall. But what was neat was is whenever you went to a certain location on the rondelle, people were already there. You had to discard additional cards, which is taking cards out of your hands. So you had to decide, well, is it worth going there or not? And then the rondelle had these two guild tokens, and that's what allowed you to take the guild action, which is the the most important part of the game to be able to buy a seat in the guild hall in order to basically at the end of the game multiply by the boats to get a uh, uh, victory points the beauty of this game it's like a medium to lightweight game plays in like 60 minutes and once you get the the actions and how they work down i thought it was a pretty simple straightforward game it's one of those that i kind of like with a little bit of meat but it doesn't take all night and and then for me there was this one action marty in the market action I really enjoyed because in the market action, you get to take a card out of the market. But you know how often in the games when that card comes out, you were like, oh crap, I wish I had had that card. That one action where that where you can now exchange a card. For some odd reason, Marty, that made this game for me. It, it, was, it was like I had just jumped off the cliff and landed on Chad. <laughs> <laughs> anyway what's so neat is it's all about basically getting up those boats you need to put a token out there on the harbor and then you got to uh when you take the action to be able to to deliver you discard a car with that particular boat's resource icon on it. it's not set collecting like you said then you just collect that boat for me, uh, again, this is one of these medium to lightweight games I enjoy. It's going to stay on my shelf because I like our games that I can usually teach pretty easily, even though, Chaz, you said you had a little bit of trouble with it. I do think if you play it once, you kind of got it and you kind of go from there. What about y'all? This game offered something I really like in a gaming environment. I always felt like on my turn, there was one more thing I wanted to do that I didn't have enough resources to do. And so it kept me every turn wanting more. I understand that because I constantly heard this to this guy to my left at the game. Marty was sitting there going, oh, I need one more yep. action. Yep. I, oh, if, if, he, if he can't say that one more time, Chaz, I was going to have to hurt him. But he's absolutely right. You really had to think through it. And the game did not overstay its welcome for me. I really enjoyed this game. Highly recommend Carthago from Capstone Games. Five minute initiative is complete. Just a couple episodes, I had my son Travis come on to talk about Age of Sigmar Soul Wars. Well, Travis, 
They have a new product out that you and I just got to try, Warhammer 40K Kill Team. And I wanted to have you back on because as the miniatures expert of RDTM, we wanted to get your thoughts on the game. All right, so first off, I just want to say I do really like Kill Team. I think it is a pretty solid system and pretty accurately takes the 40K sort of play style and just, you know, shrinks it down to a model size of, I think the maximum is 20, I want to say. First thing about Kill Team is, is that it is much smaller than 40K is. And instead of sort of planning on a grand scale, uh, the board is smaller, far less units. You want to really like, you know, play small, think small, and really think on your feet for this one. So a, a term for this type of game is typically a skirmish game, right. which is one that's not a big, huge campaign with a lot of models. This board, I think it was like 30 by 22. Yeah, 30 by 22. When you look at it, it almost looks like a long board game. It does take place in the 40K universe, but like you said, it has the feel of 40K, but it's streamlined. But the cool thing is it uses the same models that already exist in 40K. Even though the uh, starter box does come with uh, new Skitari and new Gene Stealer Colts models. Uh, the rule book that it comes with, which can be uh, bought separately, comes with rules for every single faction. So if you already play and collect a faction, guaranteed you can make a fully functioning kill team right there. Probably three or four kill teams, to be honest. So one of the people that this might be targeted for are those who already play 40K. They got tons of models, but maybe they don't want to spend three hours playing a game. Instead, they want to play a low point game, low model count game in maybe about an hour or so, but still get that same feel of uh, 40K. Right. So if you are looking to fit something in real quick instead of devoting your entire weekend, you can easily pull this out, easily set it up and easily play. And on the plus side, since it has a much smaller model count and by extension, much lower barrier of dollar entry it's easy to get other people into it like if you have a friend who's like on the fence about 40k like doesn't know this is a great way to test it out without having to bust out a whole bunch of models because with the starter box there's m literally 20 models on the board right there small board really straightforward very fun system i think it works for both people who want to play a small system and people trying to get into 40k they have tweaked some of the uh the rules just a tad and i found out that the people who wrote the rules for this game are the same ones who did the shade spiral rules which we are a fan of so they try to build this streamlined fast moving game and one of the things they did was uh they made it so it's kind of more of a back and forth system with the standard 40k you've got your phases like we did talked about in age of sigmar there's the movement phase there's a shooting phase uh, there's a there's a fight phase morale and typically in 40k one person does that entire round all phases and this the other person's turn what i liked about this was is you do all your movement i do all my movement but then we take turns shooting and fighting if you remember from my age of sigma review uh in the fight phase you do take turns but not in the shooting phase uh since 40k is far more shooty than it is choppy you will be shooting most of the time so choppy you mean melee by actual like <laughs> choppy, choppy. <laughs> um, so since it's mostly shooting and they try to make it out a smaller scale to sort of uh balance things out what they do is have each player alternate uh who who fires instead of all of one side firing and then all of another side fighting this way if there's like one really annoying unit or a really annoying model that the other person has you can just go ahead and try to take them out with as many people as you can but then again if it's really annoying they probably already fired with it and so you have to might prioritize other ones who are about to shoot and it keeps you more engaged in the game instead of just sitting with your arms folded and watching your opponent do everything you know that pretty soon you're going to be able to take your turn right and since 
uh, rounds and phases all are super fast. There's even parts where you do have to just sit there and fold your arms. You just not not for that long. It's pretty much while the opponent's moving, which does believe me does not take as long as moving 90 pox walkers across the board <laughs> exactly so uh, there are a lot fewer units you play the game in like five rounds and it's not just a okay i'm gonna try to kill all your guys the rule book is full of campaigns and scenarios and settings for building a map with different objectives and this is the same thing they did with age of sigmar they've tried to build so many modes into this game there's just open play there's narrative play there's campaign play it's one of those things i thought was really cool has almost like an RPG element where you can make your own characters, you name your own characters, and then you can make them specialists. I thought this was cool too. There's like combat specialists, demolition specialists, and what that does is that give you access to tactics. At the beginning of every round, you're going to get a command point, and you can use these command points to, to spend on tactics. And those tactics are really cool because it can make each individual model in your kill, kill team feel like it's a unique one guy's good at maybe shooting one guy's good at demolition 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 and uh but what's neat is is at the end of a a fight or a battle you can get xp and the more xp you get that gives you access to higher level tactics that you can then assign to those individual units so kind of like necromunda is is where you're supposed to get attached to your models and the people in there you personalize these guys that are fighting for you give them names and you can play them over the source of a narrative campaign the narrative play in age of sigmar is mostly fluff it's supposed to be super fluffy with like a certain gameplay elements thrown in to just enhance that feeling this is meant to be or by this i mean kill team is meant to be played over like extended over several games such as if you got like a group at a store uh who's all going and playing they all just can come by each week and continue uh the narrative that they have or if it's just uh, two people just continue to playing every day, every week, every whatever, but your models will progress. Your models will get better. It does kind of keep you more engaged. It, the feeling of progression will feel different in a miniatures game considering, you know, usually you start fresh each fight. But this sort of way, it uh, keeps it fresh with each game if you're trying to go for a narrative style. Yep. And again, or you could just play one off like we did. Or just play one off. You could just sit down and just play each other and, and just play a quick game. That's the beauty about Games Workshops and what they're doing with these games. It's like however you want to play, it seems they give you a, a mode to do so. Now, I, I will say this. I am probably a bigger Age of Sigmar fan that I am a 40k because I am somewhat intimidated by loading out my units in 40k. It seems like each model, it's like, oh, okay, uh, this model can have this access to this number of weapons. Which one do you want to give to it? They do the exact same thing here. And if you like that sort of thing, that's great. If you got a model and you want to give it a certain type of pistol or a rifle, you can do so. But for me, it's like, uh, I, I kind of get some AP. It's like, well, I don't want to get my guy and give him something that he doesn't need. And then once you do so, then you got to remember, okay, this particular model had this type of rifle. So when you look at the stat card, you know which one to reference. So all that's there. That might bother some, uh, but others may get into that customizing your, your individual models. I personally like the customization. I like having variety and options. And I feel like the way they did it with Kill Team is that it's not overbearing. Like the amount of customization options for any given model isn't too much more than a standard uh, unit of like tactical space marines or something like that in 40k. But you have the variety within the team that you can have with a unit. And I think it works. I think it works well uh, because instead of like 
having a unit in 40k where it's like five dudes with bolters and then one dude with a uh, las gun, las cannon. And, but the unit was there just for the last cannon. You can instead just actually have one dude running around with the last cannon instead of having to stick him with the unit. Travis, people may be wondering what is the difference between this and the other skirmish game that came out last year from Games Workshop, Necromunda, which is also in the same universe. Well, Necromunda is in the same universe as 40K. If you just look at the box, you won't be able to tell. It has more of a gritty cyberpunk aesthetic going on, and it doesn't use established 40K characters or really established 40K lore for the standard lore that you think of when you think chaos and the Eldar running around. Like, it, it takes place on in the Underhive, which is just pretty much a crappy part of a planet. But Kill Team actually takes place with established 40k factions you know you have chaos you have the tyranids you have the gene stealer cults because they come in there you got the orcs you got everybody running around but more importantly kill team is a bit simpler than necromunda necromunda added a few more layers onto things like i think there were several situations that happened when your characters got injured they had a dice for when your weapon needed to be reloaded and it was mm. harder for some weapons to be reloaded oh yeah that's right because you can go and find uh like uh, caches and open to find more weapons and stuff like that here in 40k you ain't got to worry about things like that it does seem like they threw in some more things to consider almost like uh more of a i don't know what say role-playing game there's just a lot more options i can broke open this crate i can see what's in this crate i can carry stuff i can reload my gun yeah i think they were really shooting for it to be i think they were shooting for complexity because it is much more complex than 40k is in terms of what your stuff can do and resolving combat and taking damage and stuff. But Kill Team, much more streamlined, much simpler, easier to get into. Uh, rules aren't nearly as long as Necromunda because I was actually shocked. Usually, um, at least recently, GW didn't put rules on that many amount of pages, but the rules for Necromunda were actually pretty sizable compared to uh, Kill Team and 40K and Age of Sigmar. There's two different skirmish-type games in that universe, but they are different enough, and you may prefer one over the other. Now, one thing we hadn't talked about, Travis, in this core box, yes, you come with, uh, you get the units and some boards and some tokens and some dice, but holy cow, there is a few pieces of some really sweet terrain in that box. This is probably one of my favorite terrain sets that GW has released. Uh, not only is it very, you know, spacious and vertical and it comes with a bunch, but beyond just 40K, I could definitely see this terrain fitting in in uh, Age of Sigmar's Camon, The Realm of Metal. Uh, yeah, and in fact, uh, we're probably going to keep it on the table a lot for our Age of Sigmar games also. Probably. And in fact, I was I was thinking, it's like, man, why is there such sweet terrain in here? And it's probably because, well, there's a limited miniature count that was included in the box. With Age of Sigmar, there was like, what, 50-something models, and here there's only 20. So even though they're the same price at like 130 bucks MSRP, they said, okay, well, since we're not giving you as many models, we're going to give you a lot of terrain to play with. And they do give you a lot of terrain to play with. Yep. But not only is there the core box, also it's going to be coming out. There's going to be some individual faction boxes, the individual rule book, like we said. So if you are to play 40K, you can just get the rule book, get the tactics cards. Uh, this game is going to be supported for a while. It looks like they're going to come out with different factions over time. So it's not just like a, a core box and that's it. Looks like they're going to try to support this in their stores like they have with every other big box game. And with that, I can't wait to see what else they're going to come out with. Because Travis, that's two huge games that's come out this year. Soul Wars, like the second edition of Age of Sigmar, 
Now, Kill Team, and we know on the horizon, Adeptus Titanicus is coming out, which is a game based around their Titans, which is like a form of mech combat. If you think even Kill Team is too many models, try playing with like six models on the board total. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's even more limited, but they, they're bigger models and they, they look nice. And uh, so... GW is just killing it right now. They're giving you a lot of options with a lot of different things from multiple games in the same universe. You've got the Shade Spire, which is a totally different type of game and other things. And then we've heard about they're going to come out with Blood Bowl Blitz, which is like a shorter version of Blood Bowl. So it's like whatever type of game you want to play, whether it be 40K or Age of Sigmar or Blood Bowl, they're coming out with different things if you don't want to play that full version. And Travis, the way I look at Kill Team, to me, it's seems like uh, there's a f- several different groups that may like this if you play 40k and you're looking to play a shorter game kill team is it and you've already got the models just by the rule book if you've never played in any miniature game then this might be a good jumping in point because you're not so blown away by the number of models that you need and you can kind of get a feel of the rules in only an hour and not to say it's cheaper Oh, much, much cheaper way, than, way cheaper because yeah. everything's based on points and then with that you're going to be buying a lot more models and with the the faction boxes are going to be coming out i mean like you said you know 10 12 15 models is all that you need to to basically build out a team uh, honestly it could be even less than that if you're playing like i know death card they're going to be fielding a lot less units because they're just point costs are more so even if you think 10 to 15 is too much you can easily play with like five or six So if this is something that sounds interesting to you, go out to the Games Workshop website and you can check it out there. Uh, As of this release of this recording, that is now on on pre-order. You can uh, go uh, look at it at Miniature Market, uh, which we support, and get a little bit of a discount out there. And if you have a Games Workshop near you, which Travis, we luckily do. and we like goodness. (laughs) We like to frequent there often. So if you want to go find out more details, you can obviously go do so on their website. And if it sounds like this is something you're interested in, then for sure, check it out. Travis, Thanks again for coming on, and I can't wait to see what big game we get to talk about next. Hopefully, Adeptus Titanicus. Hopefully. So, Marty and I are sitting in our local game store, Carolina Tabletop Games in Pineville, North Carolina. Now, shout out to Carolina Tabletop Games. Big shout out to them because we <laughs> love it here. They've expanded, they're even pet friendly. I'm watching two little <laughs> doggies right now. But, Games Workshop has given us the opportunity to go ahead and play something that you mentioned recently at that you saw at Origins, right? Yes. Uh, this is a game that I'd heard about back in the spring. This is a, a card game, CCG from PlayFusion. Uh, Tony, have you heard of Lightseekers? It came out last year. No. Okay, I'll keep it short. No. Okay. <laughs> anyway, it's from the same company that makes Lightseekers. So it was a CCG that came out last year. They've really been pushing it. There's an app to go along with it. Uh, in this particular situation, when the app came out, it was like augmented reality. Like you could scan the cards and play a different, uh, like almost like a video game on there, but there's still a card game behind it. So this is the same company that makes this, but they've joined up with Games Workshop to come out with a game called Warhammer Age of Sigmar Champions, the trading card game. Which we talked about from the origins where you and Rodney got to play it, right? Right. So now you and I get to play it. Yeah, so we reached out to play Fusion and said, you know, Tony and I are big gamers, uh, card gamers. We would love to try this out. So they were gracious enough to send us some starting decks and a booster box to check out before this was released on August 2nd at Gen Con. 
That's right. So that's why you're not seeing any pictures. We cannot release this. Well, you can't see any pictures because it's a podcast. But you would normally be tweeting this crap <laughs> everywhere, wouldn't that's you? True. That's true. But, and uh, let me just say, this isn't crap. <laughs> no. Okay? Well, I mean, we've got a veil up here at Carolina Tabletop, we, so no one can see us. We, we actually had somebody take a picture of us playing and tweet it, and we had to kindly say, could you take that down, please? <laughs> so, I mean, the, our... Our lineage with card games. I mean, yes. Lord of the Rings, trading card games. We've done Magic. We've done City of Heroes. We've done Spycraft. We've done um, all the living card games. Android Netrunner's one of our favorites. Um, uh, World of Warcraft. Sure. World I mean, of Warcraft. So we've I mean, played gosh. many, many of them. So that's why when we had a chance to try And I'm gun-shy now. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm gun-shy. I, 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 I was excited uh, to try to shoot. We got it. We tried Destiny. Destiny, the, the, uh, the, yeah. uh, Star Wars Destiny card game, the so, Dice Masters. Yeah, I meant that's not cards, but anyway, still, still dice. So, um, they, they, we got it, and I said, Tony, we need to get to the the shop and and and, and play this. And it's like we already recorded the entire episode. Yes, we did, but we wanted to get this out and talked about before uh, Gen Con came around. So it's like, okay, enough setup. Here we go. We've now played the game. This is a two player card game. Um, I didn't see any multiplayer rules uh, in the starter decks. The starter decks uh, include uh, one for each faction. There's the four orders of uh, Warhammer, which is uh, order, chaos, destruction, and death. Mm-hmm. Starter deck for each. And the decks are made up of 30 cards. Uh, and then you also have four champions and four blessings. That's your entire deck. In fact, that's your deck building rules. You have to have four champions, four blessings, and then 30 cards of your choice. You can't have more than three cards of a, three of the same copy. And there's a limit on how what your champion's cost can be, 20, if, you, if I remember yeah, correctly. Which, which is kind of cool. It's part of the deck building mechanic. Every champion has a cost, so you can't put in four superstars. You're gonna to have to kind of mm-hmm. balance that out. Yeah, and some, and even we saw this. Some cards will play off of the champion calls. Where if a champion calls greater than seven, then then that person may take more damage or whatever. Yep. In fact, uh, we, you and I opened up a, a booster pack, and actually one of the cards that just came up, a rare card that says, if it cost seven or more, then you gain two health. That's part of your deck building strategy is mm. trying to include something that costs that high in order to to get the benefit. Thing is, though, when you first see this game, this looks like magic, right? I mean, this looks like if somebody walks up, oh, this must play exactly like magic. No, it doesn't. (laughs) You don't think it looks like magic? Do I? I mean, if you just saw people playing, I don't know. It it has a magic feel because you got champions out there, you got units out there. Yeah, but you don't have a mega line of mana or whatever it is. It's not out there. There's, like you pointed out, no resources. Check. That's a positive for me. It is a positive because typically in these types of games, the in, the engine or the ramp up is usually you got to build up a pool of mm-hmm. resources in order to get the big boys out. Not so in this game. And to me, I think this is one of the cool benefits. Uh, one of the steps on your turn is you're just going to take two actions. Play a card from your hand, either use a heroic text act on one of your champions or pass. And if you pass, you get to draw a card. And that's it. That's it. It doesn't matter the size of the unit, how strong it is. It's just, you can just play it. Before you get to your actions, there's a not a cleanup phase, but a pre-action phase, as we want to call it, which is probably my favorite part of the game. It reminded well, me of City Well, we Harris. actually could call it the battlefield, battlefield phase. phase. <laughs> <laughs> as if, we look at the playmat here. The playmat that comes with the starter deck, so you don't have to worry about you know everything. It's uh, I mean, the playmat spells it all out for you. And I've already squirreled over here because I don't want to lose this thought is keywords. One of the biggest things to keep you from getting into a card game Mm. is keywords, learning all new keywords, learning all new iconography, all of that stuff that goes with it. 
when I opened up my starter pack and I got my keyword sheet, it was the same size card as my normal cards. That is a huge positive for mm-hmm. me. And it's actually also uh, redone on the play mat too. Again, these are paper play mats. How often we use these? Probably not that often. They probably got really super nice neoprene play mats, mm-hmm. but it's great for getting started. If we go back to what I was going to talk to about Battlefield Phase is the rotation of cards. Which is, I think, the key mechanic in this game. Right. As a card, at, before you go to your action phase, in your Battlefield Phase, all the cards in the various rows, the Blessing Row, the Champion Row, in action. Now, the champions don't rotate. But right. then again, maybe they maybe do. They do. And we'll talk about that in a second. Right later. But you move up there. You rotate everything 90 degrees. Mm-hmm. And then you do from left to right the various actions on the cards that have been rotated. Resolve all that. Do your action phase. Rinse, repeat. Life is good. You're playing to whoever gets to zero health wins. But you pointed out to me, which I think is really interesting, it's the health of the battlefield, not the health of individual players. Do you understand what I'm saying there? It's the health. Well, yes. The health of the army. You're not attacking single units. You're not trying to beat down champions. Yeah. It's almost like you're attacking the person in control, almost like a planeswalker in magic. You're trying to knock down their health. You're trying to knock down the commander's health. health. Right. Like where Shards of Infinity, when we talked about it, you had champions that had health, and then you had, or what, the various cards that were in play had health that you had to go through, and then you had the player's health. Mm -hmm. Here, it's just the battlefield. Mm hmm. So that to me is a, I enjoy that. I don't have to see, well, how much damage is on this one? I don't, I don't have a lot of tokens to deal with. Well, I was actually going to bring that up. If you notice, there is only one token in this entire game. On and each that's side, just yeah. for tracking your health. And you could use dice or whatever for that. Now think about how many tokens are in, in the Net, Netrunner LCGs mm-hmm. or, or Arkham Horror. Everything has tons. There's resource tokens and damage tokens and this type of token, that type of token. This game is right out of the box. You just need cards. Mm-hmm. No tokens, no bits, no dice. That's yeah, it. I mean your Ultra Pro Satin Tower deck box, which is sitting right in front of me here at the game store. You know, has a little thing for you can put tokens and all in it. Don't need it for this, which I think is is an appeal. So the simplicity of the game is going back to just a simple card game, no tokens needed. Uh, deploy your guys and try to deal enough damage to the other individual to to knock them out. Now you went back to the rotating cards, and we got to talk about you talked about rotating and resolving. What that means is. Each Some of the cards have numbers in the corners. And when you rotate, a number will be displayed. A number or maybe an X. If it's X, it means nothing's going to happen. But if it's a number, the text of the card tells you what that number means. That number could mean you're uh, do- dealing damage. Mm-hmm. That number could mean you're gaining health. That number could mean that you're defending or blocking damage. That's going to come to you. So that number could mean anything. It just depends on what the text is of that card as to what it means. I think first time when we played, I remember when Rodney and I played and when you and I played earlier, you automatically think, oh, that number's damage. Nope. nope. The damage could be, I mean, that number could be anything. It's just whatever type of card it is. So it's very simple to follow. And then once you rotate and you have a corner with nothing, with no symbol, it's off the battlefield. It's removed. Or if it rotates, if there's a, something on every corner, once it rotates all the way around 360 degrees, it's off the battlefield. So these don't stay in play. Once they rotate, they're gone. Right. And now you're like, everybody's sitting there thinking, oh, this doesn't sound very strategic. Okay, there's a certain part of the strategy to this game. So the, f- the first part is the champions that come out. When you put your four champions out, this is what we would have with the highlighted fields or highlighted cards. All these cards have little highlighted sections on them. They have the green meaning your allies and reds meaning your enemies. So along those lines, these cards have indications that say, hey, maybe a card to the left, a card to the right, 
or maybe it's up from that card I saw in the booster pack. There was one Marty that had two diagonals. So I was sitting here in the starter deck. It was always across the, the same row. Mm -hmm. Here it's looking at it diagonally. So there's my format, my position that I'm liking in the card. And that impacts those cards. So for instance, if a card that is adjacent to me does something and it's in my highlighted area, I may trigger a benefit. So that's really cool. So the strategy is deploying those cards out because if you've got to look at that because they may not have the benefit may not kick in if it's not in that highlighted area. So there's my strategy, my tactics of laying out mm -hmm. these cards. So we didn't even talk about this. It's, it, the tactics of this game, there are four columns. Right. Uh, your champion is deployed to each of those columns. And then, like you said, there are some cards that said that in, asp in respect of where cards deployed and how it affects a column to the left, column to the right, or all the columns. So typically when you uh, play a card, it's usually in front of a champion. So a champion can deploy units in front of itself. If it's a warrior, there's two types of champions, warriors and wizards. Units go in front of champions. Mm -hmm. They might directly affect somebody across from them. They might, like you said, direct, uh, affect somebody to the left or right or whatever. The card will indicate that. Wizards uh, deploy spells. So they have spells that might could affect the battlefield. Some are buffs. They help you out in your entire battlefield. But again, it's all in relation to where cards are placed. Tony, you played a card on me earlier that said, oh, uh, a champion in this row directly in front of me can't deploy units mm -hmm. until that card is rotated through and is gone. Right. Or you remove it. So it, as opposed to games like Magic or whatever, it's very, it has a lot of tactics. It reminds me of Netrunner. Netrunner, you got your servers. It's like... You don't attack all the servers. You pick one you're going to go after, and you're going to go from mm -hmm. there. Here, you pick which column, which champion am I going to go after that has a unit in place and, and try to trigger as many abilities as I can. Right, but then it can also come back and bite you where, oh, man, I've got an engaged hero champion here, but I want to get that card out. Well, mm -hmm. I can't until that card gets off the battlefield. And then you're like, oh, man, so I've got to wait my turn because why would I want to wait and not play a card right there? Because the champions in order for them to rotate are dependent on the cards ability that you, not ability, but the card icon, uh, champions quest. Mm. So you're talking about yeah. the, the quest that's on the corners of their cards. So the yeah. corners of the champions also have an icon, but it's different from units and spells, etc. And the goal is try to uh, play an action that will activate that icon so the champion can rotate. Most of them, or a lot of them, are just, hey, if you deploy a unit, rotate this champion. It could Gain be a health. Rotate this champion. It, it, again, all the icons are written clearly on the map, which is really useful. If you're able to do all four quest goals of each of the champion, basically rotating 360 degrees, you get to reveal a hidden blessing that's below the champion. At the beginning of the game, you take your blessings and deal them face down. You don't know what order they go in and put a champion on top of each one. Once it rotates all the way around, you reveal that blessing and typically it's really, really good. Mm -hmm. it, it could be a passive ability that stays in play, does something for you. It could be a card that rotates itself. It could be an instant. But typically, there's something that you really want to get out. And so now when you deploy cards, you're looking across your four champions. It's like, well, I have this card that will heal somebody. Do I have any of my champions now showing a current quest icon that says if I heal something, I get to rotate them? You're trying to get those blessings out. Yep. But sometimes you can get yourself in a position where you can't rotate those champions. Mm -hmm. Or there's a card that I played that had, it allowed me to swap champions around and then play another card, which let me rotate him again. So once again, people are like, well, where's the combo? That's the type of combo. 
It's funny yeah. you said that. So I played with uh, Travis the other night. We played a game between uh, Death and Destruction. And that was his first thing he said. I didn't see a lot of combos. And maybe they aren't in the starter decks just to keep it simple. Mm-hmm. But I, it does seem from the cards I read that it could be one of those things that trigger, like you said, well, if I do this and I move this and then rotate this and I get this and maybe flip the blessing over, maybe it's something, it's a series of actions that will have something good. I, you know, I, haven't, I don't know that I've seen a combo thing where if I have this in play and then I do this, then these multiple things will trigger. Uh, it may well, be in there. Well, it occur, you know, in the starter deck, you and I both played the orcs today. We had that mega wolf chariot crowded unit i don't have it right here but it was it was it's, a, it's not called mega wolf crowded chariot unit but okay go okay ahead. fine with that <laughs> but i had a spell that said okay so I, if i played that card out here mega wolf chariot card out and then i had a spell that said advance a card two steps mm, yep all right so i need to get that mega wolf out and then play the spell that says advance it or rotate it two times because when i rotated it twice it would have let me deal eight damage to you right. the first two corners did nothing did nothing so, so that's it, it three was, turns it was three turns before it would have done anything to me so that's a good point so you want to get that out and then you see you could trigger it that turn there's your combo yep that's true and i think the timing is really important too and we talked about this too before we started recording when i see what's on your field i can see what's coming this turn next turn because i know those cards are going to automatically rotate so if i see a big damage dealing thing coming up i'm trying my best to get something out there that can try to block that damage so that you can like like see into the future and say okay well i know this is going to be happening to me so how do i prepare for it the best way but that doesn't mean that there's still some cards that can come out of your hand and go aha gotcha you also have like instant action cards Mm -hmm. that you can play on a wizard or a championship you show it you resolve it and then it goes to your discard pile so you still have that oh i didn't know you had that card in your hand type thing for me i think it's playing a ton of the and i do mean a ton it seems like we've played a ton of card games for us over the past 18 years 18 years it does (laughs) and you know, so the things that I like about it. So for me, the first thing I like about it was how quickly we were able to learn. I remember when we first played Netrunner, it was brutal getting through the keywords. This took no time at all. The only issue was understanding allies, units, champions, and how they affect with the um, various highlighted cards. Mm-hmm. Positive, it's quick to learn. Yep. Fast to play. Yep. It's got deck building. Yep. It's going to have an app that can support where you and I can we get online. We even talked about the we'll app. Get to it, we'll get to okay. it. I'm going through my positives okay, sorry, with this, the physical. <laughs> my God, man. Stay on task because we don't do that well. Stay on target. Stay on target. <laughs> so, you know, I'm going to be able to play with you online later in that. I was concerned with the rotation of cards. Hey, you rotate cards in Magic in any type of card game where you turn them to their size, you flip them over, you do whatever. Yeah, that can be a little fiddly. Didn't seem that bad to me. I wasn't fiddling with components or resources mm-hmm. or tokens or anything like that. The only big thing is, and you're going to mm. you're going to kill me with this. I, I know what it's going to be. Go ahead. I got to so, buy booster packs. It's a collectible it game. It's a t- TCG, and I think that's going to. And what's my price point on them booster packs? We'll have to see. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, well, what are your positives? Okay, let's. We'll, we'll come back to the other thing no, in a minute. Okay. No, no, fine. We'll no, come no, back no, no positives. Positives. Okay. Um, positives. Um, Let's talk about some of the just the tangible things you can see. I think the art's really nice. Uh, some of yep. this is reused from some of the Games Workshop stuff, but it, it's it's top-notch Age of Sigmar type art. I think the card layout's easy to, to read. It's very understandable. Uh, they have uh, what's really cool is they have highlighted words uh, on the cards 
And with each faction deck, they also have a little card that comes with it specific to that faction that your will tell you. Your keyword cards, your keywords. Yeah. Wait, it says, yeah, your keyword cards uh, right there. That, and you talked about this earlier. So that's easy to pick up. Uh, did you feel, you and I were huge fans of City of Heroes because we had the rotating card mechanic. Did you feel I had that kind of feel to it? Because that's what really pulled us in on that. And I thought oh, yeah. we might like this too. Because well, that rot- rotating the card makes things happen. Exactly. And I think to your point in, uh, on the rotation is in the City of Heroes was that was fiddly because you were having to do a whole bunch of them here. It was always one direction. Here it was in City of Heroes, you were having quarter turn, quarter turn, activate, go all the way, flip mm-hmm. it all the way around, which I understood. I liked how that act. But here, uh, yeah, I love that because you could see what was coming. You could read it. It was bright and bold right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the turn structure is really straightforward. You turn all your cards at the beginning of a turn. You resolve any cards that were turned. If they were turned to where they need to be exhausted, they're pulled off. You got two actions. It's the other player's turn. That's it. Uh-huh. <laughs> it it's, it's a straightforward. You do have some cards that give you some bonus actions, which is kind of cool. That's part of the deck building mechanic, getting this card out to give me some bonus actions. Instead of two, I can now take three. I love the fact that you don't have an automatic draw step. Now that's part. It's like, crap, do I do I feel like I need to play this card now or should I hold off and, and draw a card you know, here instead of later? So you have to use your turn to draw cards, which is kind of like um, Arkham Horror LCG. You can uh, spend to draw cards, even though in that one you still get to draw a card at the beginning of your turn. Right. Here, the only way you're going to draw a card is to spend actions to do so. Which I actually like better than drawing a card at the beginning because I always disliked a game where, okay, I get one card at the beginning, but unless a card I play allows me to draw it here, it's my choice to draw a card mm-hmm. or not. Do I push myself? Because you got to be careful because I almost ran out of cards. Mm-hmm. And if you do run out of cards, there is you this, lose. Yeah, there is this step that you have to walk through that you can eventually lose if, if that happens. And in fact, the ramp up, Tony, may almost be that at the beginning of the game, you may spend the first several turns just drawing cards, trying to draw into the cards that you, that's your engine. Right. And so you maybe you're not playing cards immediately. Instead, you know, I'm going to draw a couple cards this time. I'll draw a card this time. Try to f- dig for that particular card I'm looking for and then go from there. But if you're doing that and your opponent's deck over there is one that says, hey, if you don't have any cards out and play, oh, I'm going to do additional damage to you because you've got no way of your army is weak. Yep. So you've got to really protect yourself against that. So I think that's, you know, it'll be interesting how the cards interact along those lines. Because, yeah, you're right. Oh, I need to draw to find this card. Fine. I'm going to ping you with five. 10, 15, you know, just keep hitting you with damage. You're at 30 at the beginning. If I got a whole bunch of cards out there that can hit you with quick damage or I'm rotating through to get blessings, you're messing up. You're wasting your turn. So you've got to really balance that. So uh, Anything negative? Well, I I think the big negative is what you and I are getting ready to talk about. It's a a TCG, and a lot of people will automatically be turned off because it is a TCG. So we open, you and I opened up a couple booster packs. Mm-hmm. It's your typical type distribution. You got uh, uh, like eight commons, three uncommons, and two rare. One of them was a foil. So a total of? 13 cards. So who set the rule at 13? It just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that came from. I mean, 18 years ago, that's what Lord of the Rings was putting in our decks. Yep. 13. 13 is, is, I guess that's the magic number. Oh, uh, magic. I don't know. Get it? I have no idea. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so I thought we sent Chaz home. <laughs> well, he's coming back because this is kind of going to be in the middle of the oh, show okay. and he'll be back in a segment right oh, after crap. this. <laughs> well, a good thing about a TCG, a good and bad, is the fact that it can promote a secondary market. Good point. However, do like we did in Lord of the Rings or those other games that we played where we would buy booster combine our commons 
Yeah, and then trade. And then trade. Say, okay, you know, I know you need, we only need three commons here. I've got these. Mm-hmm. So it's fairly quick where like the living card game, you bought a booster or not a booster, but you bought that series. I bought that series. You know, I'm only going to run this certain deck. You could, you may decide I'm only going to run order and destruction. That's the only two I am, am interested right. in. And you take the other two and then we trade because mm-hmm. in the deck building, they all have, they have to be all in the same faction or there's some unaffiliated cards, which are gray backgrounds, which you can use in anybody's deck. Right. Um, so that is a, a good way uh, to do it. Or with only 30 cards in your in your deck, plus the champions and blessings, you might decide, you know what, this is going to be my deck, and I'm just going to go on the secondary market and just buy the ones I want. Yeah, and I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's, I believe there's 278 cards in the... Uh, 278 cards in the... Uh, the original set. Right. And I'm not going to pull up my calculator on how many times you'd have to buy a booster of 13. But anyway. Uh, so, uh, speaking of the cars, kind of a side thing. The backs of the cars are sweet. I didn't oh, even notice. They're reflective. Oh, yeah. They're got. they almost like a, they have a, a feel to it. A, a linen, mm-hmm. plastic feel to it. So yeah. the Quality cars. Car. So if they were to blow in a fountain, they might not. Um, <laughs> I don't <laughs> think I would I would risk that. But you know what? <laughs> is, it, is a good way to... Uh, maybe when you want to be outside and play this game and not risk it blowing into a fountain, there is an app. There is an app. There you go. So this was one draw to probably Tony and I when Rodney and I played at Origins. This was a draw to us. These cards have special markings on them that you can now scan the card and it goes into your app and it becomes a digital card uh, in your library online. So using, um, I think, I can't remember. I think it's just Steam right now. It's mm. going to be the app on Steam. Oh. I can't remember if it's iOS. It may be coming. Don't, don't quote me. But anyway, it's um, you scan the card in, and then you can play the game online, much like Hearthstone. Okay. Except Hearthstone's totally only digital cards. But at least here, the beauty of this is you have a physical card, and you have the digital version of it. And the same card, uh, all the same cards have a different uh, a symbology or different markings on them so that they're all totally unique. Right. So if I have a rare and I scan it in that I want to give it to you, you can't scan it in until I take it out of my own personal collection and then it can be added to yours. But what makes that so cool is now you can play online, you can test decks, you test can build and, and play without ever sitting at a table to do so. Exactly. Now it just means I have to figure out a way to play Steam, but I can't play it during bathroom <laughs> breaks, but that's okay. Uh, and I do want to caution people, if you do pick up a starter deck, because this is coming out when? August 2nd? This is going to be actually August 2nd at, at Gen, Gen Con. Con. And this is, like you said, this is embargoed until then, which is why we can't show any pictures until then. But yeah, August 2nd. But when you do open up your starter decks, there is a booster card in here. I do wonder, not. What, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means scan the booster card and you're going to get free digital content. It's what it means. It's what it says. Scan and share to unlock digital boosters. I wonder how often you have to share. I don't know. I don't know, but I'm intrigued by that card. I know. As soon as it comes out. So I'll scan it. You'll scan it. And we'll just keep sharing this around. It's marketing right here, man. This is marketing. Big time. Big time. So yeah, that's pretty neat. If you get a chance to play, if you're coming to Gen Con, Get a chance to play. I'm sure we will have this game with us at Gen Con, so we, we'll, we'll, we'll take play. a couple decks if anybody wants to hook up with us and um, uh, play. We have not broken into the booster packs yet. Uh, it was We're going to be kind of overwhelmed by that. We just want to open up some starter decks, play, get a feel for the game. But l- let me ask you, just from your initial impression, is it like, okay, I've got the starters, that's all I need? Or it's like, oh, oh good God, I no. want to include some of those boosters in there. Half the, half the fun of any 
game is building your own deck to try to make it better. The starter deck's only going to get you the taste. It's it's like anything, any of these it's things. It's like any drug. It's any drug, <laughs> exactly. It's. I mean, if it had been 18 years ago, you and I would be going to, what was it, Potomac International or whatever. Uh, Potomac been, Distribution Potomac online. online. We bought all of our cards from there. Yeah, we'd be doing the same thing. So, <laughs> so this, is, this is pretty... Um, Am I going to dip my toe in this? Unfortunately, yes, because when you and I meet for lunch, 15 minutes, you and I are done. Yep. Or if we just at night, hey, Tony, I'm, I'm, I text you and say, you want to play a quick game? Yeah. And we could play it using our own decks. There you go. Um, yeah. And uh, I know you're not into the Age of Sigmar lore. Uh, if you're, I'd like Used that. Used to be. Yeah, well, that's true. And you asked me, is Felix and Gotrek gone? Rumors are they may be coming back oh, into the Age of Sigmar universe. Yeah, Skaven's my boys. I, I'm, uh, if that Skaven deck comes out, I, if the Skavens are a denial deck, which you know is my favorite meta to play. Yeah. You, it wouldn't be a, a, a swarm deck? A Skaven? Skaven? Eh, I could see Skaven could be swarm. I could see that. I'm just thinking, you know, what's the... Well, they were crazy. Rats are crazy. They're, they're crazy. Well, they got the entire universe to play with, right? Oh, this yeah. is just this is just the first release. So that is uh, Warhammer: Age of Sigmar Champions. Thank you so much to uh, PlayView uh, Fusion for giving us a chance to uh, play. I've played four games now. I think I played four. Mm-hmm. We just played play two. two, and it was one of those things that we just wanted to get a couple games in and get this recorded and out. So that people could hear about it before Gen Con came around. Or you're going to get, be able to get it at your local game store. The thing is, I don't know the price point. Right. I mean, what do you think? That that starter box, 20 bucks maybe at the most? I don't know. 15, uh, I 20 don't know. bucks? The cards are very nice. Nice cards. Nice art. They're sturdy. I bet I could even do a rifle shuffle and not have to do a Marty Mangle. It's Riffle. Riffle Shovel, Marty riffle Mangle. Shovel. Yeah, there's a whole discussion on this the other day. It's not rifle, it's riffle. R-I-F-F-L-E. Rifles when you shoot them. Either way. <laughs> no, it's not either way. <laughs> well, it makes a sound as you're shuffling them. That's a machine gun shuffle. That's machine gun shuffle. <laughs> well, machine gun's a type of rifle. I'll, I'll stick with my Kano clusters. Is that all right? Uh, uh, Marty Mashup? Yeah, whatever you want to call it. Kano clusters. So I said I would never try another TCG again. We, we did the Destiny. We got sucked into that. And I was like, that's it. I, you got sucked into that. I did not get sucked into that one. I mean, I played it. But to, to be fair, you know one thing that just pushed me away from that game? The freaking storage of dice. I got tired of trying to store the dice. Here, there's no tokens. It's just, just cards. It's just cards. I mean, this, this will go into a backpack easily and be ready to play at your local and game And you don't store. need to play, Matt. Oh, I will. I'll forget half of it. Well, yeah, you will. But once you know the game, you really don't need the play mat. So yeah. honestly, cards and a life tracker could be on your phone or whatever. And that is all you need to play this game. So you're going to be hearing about this more from us probably uh, in the future. Do you think it's going to be like Netrunner where every freaking <laughs> I, episode? I, I, I don't know. I don't know that it blew me away as, first, as much as what Netrunner did. But still, the, it's for something that is so simple in the turn strategy and in the deck building for it to be as tactical as it was mm-hmm. and, it, and it was even though we only had two actions per turn there was a little bit of ap there because i'm sitting there thinking of some of these cards these this is blocking damage tony has no damage on the board yet there's no need for me to deploy this because if i deploy it it's just going to be wasted because it's going to rotate out of play 
So timing is critical in this game, which is more than I think in any other card game I've played where timing is so critical, because once that card goes on the board, there's a clock starts ticking, mm -hmm. yep. and it will go away automatically. But in my hand, I had a card that said deploy two units. Oh, wait, those two units all had instant damage to them mm -hmm. when they hit the thing. So yeah, you could have been blocking that instant damage when it hit, but you didn't play your card. That's true. Or you uh, flip, flip, flip it, it. You may see I'm blocking damage, and you're going to go, wait, well, I'm going to wait till those cards re rotate or exhaust out of play mm -hmm. then i'll play this for maximum damage so, so we've been trying to wrap this up you won't wrap this up I know. I, i'm sorry so i mean but if you play a combo <laughs> if you play a combo i know it's like in golf when you hit an incredible drive you're going no matter how bad your game is you're going to come back because you just hit an incredible drive why can't you do that every time same thing here i just played an incredible combo look out I got a deck that's going to tear everybody up. <clears throat> well, I've, I've never hit an incredible drive. I've had some nice chips. Okay. I mean, nice putt here and there. My driving sucked. So that is uh, Warhammer, uh, Age of Sigmar Champions, Play Fusion out August 2nd. You're going to, on that day, you're going to see tons of videos, I'm sure. Actually, I'm going to try to put together a video this week. Uh, I'm going to try to put together a video uh, showing the play mat, the cards and everything that will be released on August 2nd. It'll be, I have it scheduled to release on our YouTube channel, Roll Dice Take Names, on August 2nd so that you can see some of what we're talking about. And with that, I guess we'll get back to our previous earlier recordings with uh, Chaz. If we have to. Marty and Tony, before you run out of time completely, I, I just actually did want to take a moment to thank you both for having me on uh, once again as one of your special guests. Um, I, we've gotten to the point now where I've actually lost track of how many episodes of your show I've managed to weasel my way on to. Right, it's so. pretty easy. Just go count the number of uh, Beatles songs. Yeah, I mean, and because of that, you are no longer special, Chaz. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow. I, uh, I've, I'm, I'm going to interpret that as, the, as meaning that I've hit the point of appearances where it's no longer special when I appear it's just it's just a regular regular thing that's how I'm going to choose to remember and I'm fine with that I am more than okay with you thinking that way <laughs> I don't I don't want to dash your hopes I want you to come back you're giving me flashbacks to Eric Lang talking about about talking about my favorite bands uh the the pain it's still fresh <laughs> we'll put some lemon juice on it. It'll be better. Um, so, but uh, one, one important thing though, Chaz, is I, I appreciate you being on because I was able to use a Beatles song. But to, did y'all watch the, um, oh, who, who is it that does the karaoke in the car? Is it uh, Corb? Corbin? Oh, okay. Corbin. James Corbin. Did you see it when he did it with Paul McCartney recently? I actually did. That was pretty epic. That was, and to be in that bar in London when uh, he shows up, that's just amazing. But anyway, I have a trip where I will be over in the UK and I am very excited because the three days when I am in London, I'm going to be dropping some more hints and I'm hoping that when I'm there, that maybe I can venture out to a game store and I can meet up with any of our UK listeners in London. Oh, cool. I know that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? And I can leave the people who I'm doing the trip with behind. Because after after 14 days on a cruise, I will want to leave those people behind. Do we translate well across seas? Yes, we do. We translate very we well. We do? Yeah, I mean, we actually have someone uh, in Switzerland. So what would that be? Tossing pips and obtaining Don't embarrass us. Surnames? I'm just, I cannot wait. <laughs> Let's 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 go. I cannot wait for uh, Restoration Games is you know doing um, the the Tea Party game. Oh yes, a Tea Party Society. Yeah, it's like Guess Who, mm -hmm. except with dinosaurs. And Rob Davio said that you have to do it with an English accent. And I can't wait. I am going to film me in England doing that game with a very poor Southern English accent. <laughs> 
<laughs> we do know that the Southern accent derives from the English accent, right? Uh, sure. I'm not kidding. So go look up linguistics and you'll see that the Southern accent is closer to the English than, than any other area. Much like if you go to New Orleans, it's closer to French than any other area. Much like if you go up north, it's more Italian. So you put a little Wi-Fi symbol here. Go look that up. <laughs> Chaz, what's a buggy? Oh, no. I, I was just quizzed on this yes, recently. You were. A, a buggy is a shopping cart. It's mm-hmm. a shopping cart, isn't it? I can't believe I forgot to ask about toboggan. That would have been a good one. Oh. That would have stumped me, too. That would have totally stumped me. Just just like the listeners are stumped of what, what in the world. What we're talking about right now. Basically, we quizzed Chaz on Southern terms and how many you could get right. And actually, you did really, really well. So I guess there's not that really many unique Southern terms. But there were definitely a few. There were a few. And tying all the way back to the start of the show, that's exactly when I came in on the one stream y'all were doing was on that question. And then thanks for watching. We'll see you in an hour. (laughs) Speaking about seeing people, guess what? We're going to be seeing each other, uh, geez, about a week after this uh, episode drops because we are all going to be going to Gen Con in Indianapolis, Indiana. Woohoo! <laughs> so, so, so you're one of those. If you ever go to like an esports event and you get this big old intro, you'll just be the guy that just kind of walks out on stage and sits down and starts playing without like all the fanfare and everything. Uh, I'm not going to say anything about it because I do have some of the social anxieties that Chaz has, and that's you know something he and I have in common. I, I, I it's hard for me to get up to going to a convention because I, when I get there, I'll be fine. I'll be like, Oh, Hey, how's it going? You know, uh, glad hadn't and hugging and, and enjoying my time and doing all that. And I cannot wait. And thank you all for those who are coming to the rolling dice and taking names. Um, strike tournament round two sold out, sold out at the old spaghetti factory. Um, you'll be contacted uh, shortly about that. If you haven't already been, that's great. And Chaz, thank you so much for, uh, sponsoring and coming as well with pod pledge that's and having pod pledge collect the tickets thank you so much it was my absolute thrill and pleasure that i was able to build something that was able to contribute in that way so that was it's just amazing to see it used. and i cannot wait where you and rodney have to race the meatball across the table with your noses i missed something mm-hmm. and the loser has to drink ketchup <laughs> Like Tony, let me give you a tip before I go. You you talk about you have a little bit of social anxiety when it comes to conventions. Yes. Let let me give you just a couple of. Is this tips. is this okay. the is it the meeples for sheepish peoples things? I watched every I watched every one of those chats. Thank you. Sheeples for meeples peoples. Meeples for sheepish peoples was the name of the the end of the series. Yeah, it's very it's very very insulting to people if you don't get the titles of their stuff right, Mister Connelson. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so sorry. Anywho, the uh, what I was going to say is just some, some quick convention tips right there. You absolutely nailed it. The ang- if you want to go to a convention, the anxiety of before you go is a hundredfold more than when you're at, usually there. Usually, sometimes you know everyone is different, of course. But um, at the what got me to finally go to the conventions and make me glad I did was at the end of it, going you know when this convention's over. Will what will I rather have done? Been home and been feeling more safe and secure and comfortable, or have had that experience? And if you're of the group that wants to have the experience, don't let the anxiety of going to the experience stop you from doing it. Grab the one you want, and either one is fine. Uh, you know, going to it is not better than not going. But whatever one you want, don't let it stand in your way. And when you're at the convention, easy way to make new friends: just 
when you go to the bathroom and you see someone at the far u- <laughs> urinal, sidle up right next to them and start a conversation. So easy, guaranteed way to make best friends. <laughs> your bestest buddies right there. You know, I also heard that if you wear a squirrel suit on the, on the floor, uh, oh. people will come and talk to you a lot too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they want pictures. Yeah. See, there you go. So, I mean, so yeah, Gen Con's right around the corner, Marty. I'm excited for that. I cannot wait to do that and do our usual recordings there. I hope we have that. I got to remind you to bring the camera because I want to try to get some video as well because this is important. We will actually be presenting squirrely. That's right. We are actually having trophies made. Yeah, you could let's stretch it a little bit. There are trophies. Yeah, let's. Stretch. Well, no, no. I was just thinking about what you call the Academy Awards. I guess it's called a trophy, right? Sure. Statue. I don't know. Uh, from Broken Token has made us a little wooden trophies that we're going to be handing out to each of the publishers that won in the 2018 Squirrelies, and we're going to be taking pictures with each one of them. And this is our first time actually handing out physical awards, and we hope they don't throw it in the trash can until after we walk away. But just like a broken token insert we're gonna make them put them together <laughs> okay <laughs> bonus oh, bonus and I'm, i'll have a little you get an award and an activity yes and, and maybe i'll bring the wood glue i don't know so they don't fall apart or but it's better way to transport marty we were thinking ahead for our winners so once again everybody thank you so much uh, appreciate you listening uh kent courtney one more shout out to you. Thank you for coming up to Charlotte and playing games with Marty and I. It was a great experience for two of us, at least, me and Marty. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> yeah, they probably had a long discussion on the way back. It's like, why are we still subscribed to these guys? Chaz, thank you for coming on Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Um, your presence is always appreciated. And just remember, Chaz, keep rolling dice. Hold on. Before you go. Just a reminder that in our next our next big episode at Gen Con, oh, yeah. we will be having Rodney Smith on every night, just like we did last year. And as such, the episode is supposed to drop right after we get back from Gen Con, and we may not have time to edit it. If we do not, we may delay the episode one week. We'll let you know. So we apologize if we are not back two weeks from today. Watch on Twitter at Dyson Names. I'll keep you up to date when the episode's coming out, but if it looks like it's going to be late, we'll just push it back a week. But like last year, we had a great time each night sitting in the hotel room talking about our day's events with Rodney, and we can't wait to do it again this year okay now you can go and taking names i salvaged it (laughs) did you thanks for listening to a super long episode of rdtn if you want to you can follow us on twitter at dyson names instagram dyson names come join our bgg guild 1589 like us on facebook and if you want to you can support us at podpledge.com slash rdtn welcome back to rolling dice and taking names this is episode number 149 tell me why I'm Tony. I'm Marty. And tell me why is a Beatles song, which must mean. Does it mean that I'm here? Is that. That's magic. That's gold. That's gold right that's, there. That's, that's good radio. All right. Somebody want to kick this one off? I kicked off the last Chaz, two. Chaz, kick it. Oh, Chaz kicking off an outro. Well. Okay. Uh, wow. That's, that's good. That's smooth. That's. <laughs> let me Let me think. I. Uh, Channel, channel, Ooh, okay. jazz, 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 jazz. Wow, I, I, I can't. Ex- uh.
Darn it. <laughs> okay, it's going to take 30 minutes of editing. See, see it's, it's, it's not as easy as you think, is it? No, it's not. No, no, no. Well, Marty, Tony, I want to thank you both for having me on your show once again. Um, I, I feel just so special that I'm on your show. You are special. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, Sorry. yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so, Marty. And, what? Okay, so. Gentlemen, I have a mystery for you two to solve. What is a website that will soon feature a game where you can solve clues and tell stories that we also discussed for about a half hour already this episode? Ooh, that's a tough one, Chaz. Can I, do I need to think about it? How much time do I have? How long is this going to last? Uh, I'm not editing this commercial, so <laughs> I don't care how long you take. But in case you needed a hint, it's Portal Games with their new upcoming game, Detective. Again, which we discussed for like a half, half hour. <laughs> so are you telling me that Detective Abilities tell me to go to portalgames.pl slash en to get all that information about this upcoming game that is coming out at Gen Con that you and Marty talked about for 30 minutes and really enjoyed? Oh my gosh, that's a much better idea than what I was going to say. So yeah, let's go with that. Mm-hmm.